What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 43, the Troy Palomalu cast, if you will, uh, of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? It's alive. He's alive. The J's alive. I'm pumped up. Hey, Ed, as always, Halloween season in full swing. We're loving our month of October here at the What's Real podcast. As you mentioned, with our number correlation, big episode 43, one of our favorite players, the great Pittsburgh Steeler legend Troy Polamalu, this week's correlation with the 4-3. And as you can tell, I am pumped up. I am swole. I am vascular. You name it. I am it. Hey, you let's do it. We got a big show for you guys this week. Of course, we have uh, a review coming up for you this week of the brand new fan film, uh, Friday the 13th fan film, Never Hike in the Snow, uh, brand new to YouTube. So we're going to take a look at that later on in the show. Uh, we have another big uh, review kind of section for you. We're going to review a brand new horror movie uh, just released on Shudder recently, uh, a horror anthology as well, The Mortuary Collection. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And we are going to have some NFL talk as well. And uh, we have a lot of other stuff for you guys too. So stay tuned for all that and a huge, huge update on something very close to my heart, none other than George Romero. And a little preview as well of WWE Hell in the Cell uh, 2020 uh, coming up this week, actually. So uh, you guys are listening to us uh, on Friday if you are listening to the show the day it drops. And Hell in a Cell is going to be on Sunday. So we're going to preview that as well. But let's get into it. The J this week, we got a lot of stuff. It looks like the World Series has finally been decided as the Tampa Bay Devil Rays will represent the American League and the Los Angeles Dodgers represent the National League in a uh, kind of a matchup between an underdog and a team that just can't seem to win the uh you know the championship so what do you think uh, it kind of works out they were the two best teams during the pandemic in quotes regular season this year and they're meeting in the world series uh one thing off the bat hey eel as um we barely even like talking about um our pittsburgh pirates i i don't <clears> even <throat> like saying our but it is our city and we grew up with them but you know the, the whole politics of baseball that we won't uh dilute into by any stretch I just bring up because the Tampa Bay Rays come from a very small market. So that, yep. that is cool to see in the majors. They have a $36 million payroll, I believe, uh, is what I saw earlier today. Um, so it's kind of, a, you know, the battle against the small market and the big market. Um, it looks obviously like the Dodgers are probably going to win this, but who knows? Uh, you never know with baseball. I, I think Tampa Bay is very capable because they play quite differently than most teams. Uh, where they don't really have starting pitcher, pitchers and relief pitchers. They will have dudes come in and pitch three, four innings, five innings, whatever. Like, they, they don't have any, you know, dedication to a starting pitcher and, and, you know, closers and stuff like that, which is pretty interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting take on how to run a small market team. Uh, and, of course, too, as you mentioned, the Pirates earlier, uh, a lot of former Pirates are on that Tampa Bay team. Uh, which seems to be a growing trend through the years uh, with us is, you know, even when we saw Houston win the World Series, we saw Charlie Morton, former Pittsburgh Pirate, pitching for them. Um, you know, Garrett Cole's obviously gone on to not only win with them, but he's gone on to make $70 billion playing with the Yankees and so on and so on. But, you know, as a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, you're kind of used to that shit. 
Yeah, we're used to that for sure. And that's that's what's interesting. Um, game one pitching matchup. Of course, Clayton Kershaw, the ace from the Dodgers, and Glasnow of the Rays. And so Glasnow, right again, former, former pirate. pirate. Yeah, so I was saying that. So it goes right there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about it. We cover all the sports, and, and we were definitely – Pretty interested to see how everything played out in, in all the major pro sports during the the Corona era and stuff. But baseball, uh, for the both of us, I think we concurred. It's been kind of tough to watch. I, I've caught some br- brief things here and there, saw some sports uh, center highlights here and there more than anything. Uh, but it's the World Series, so you know if I have the time, as we always say, we record on Tuesday. Game one's tonight. Um, it might be something I throw on to check check out for a little bit, but. I'm not into it enough, honestly, to to sit down down and watch an entire MLB game in this era. Yeah, that that's pretty much how I am too. Like I might, you know, like say I'm watching something on TV later tonight, and then I switch over just to see what the score is or what's going on. And if you know, if I turn it on at an opportune time, you know what I mean, where like bases are loaded and you know the Dodgers are down four or something, and they're up the bat, like that kind of a deal, I'll watch and see what happens. But other than that, like I'm not really, you know into the Dodgers or the or Tampa Bay that much where I would even bother to care. I'll just um, cheat and uh, watch the ninth inning. Hey, that's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I do that, especially if it's a good game. So I, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Um, moving on to some other sports stuff, too. I saw this recently. The next UFC uh, is Saturday afternoon, which is Very something weird. different for them. Yeah. Um, did, was there any reason given for that? Because I know you follow a little bit more closely than I do. I'm pretty sure it just has to do with because this is taking place at the Fight Island in Abbey Doobie, yep. which I always mispronounce. Abbey Doobie. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that's purposefully or not with the J here on the pod. But um, yeah, it could be something with the scheduling uh, from early research and uh, looking in the preview for the pod here. I didn't see anything specific on why it's at this time, but you know, very strange to be smacked down in the, in the middle of the day. Um, here at the uh, Bajoras compound, we're actually heading up to a place near Pittsburgh, a mountain resort called Seven Springs for a family trip we take every week. So uh, my brother-in-law, uh, every week, watching that. <laughs> every, yeah, every year. I'm sorry. I wish every week. That'd be great. Yeah, every week I, we just take a trip. We get the I, fuck out of Dodge. I'd be living the life. Although here on the pod, I mean, some of our regular listeners, um, I've taken a lot of weekend trips here in COVID because I've been able to go to very fortunately, you know, some uh, like, you know, to the lake house and, and, and this week to the mountain house. So taking advantage of it. Hey, you know, what can I say? I work hard, you know how it is, but, uh, but yeah, to your point, there's, there's not really been a specific reason why it's going to take place this Saturday, 2 PM, but, um, it's interesting. And, and that was my point, you know, I'll be up there lounging around and stuff. So that could be something I stream through, uh, nefarious means through my fire stick, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I'm not planning on giving uh, ESPN or UFC any money for that show, uh, as I've kind of been disgusted overall. Uh, well, what do you UFC, think about but, the the main event? Uh, yeah, Khabib the main event it, that looks like that'll be cool. I mean, I don't see how Khabib ends up losing, but you know, anything can happen. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, Gaethje's a just, beast, man. It really is. <clears throat> it should be up. a good fight. Uh, I I don't know if I'm even well because the thing is for me too the the Saturday afternoon thing just makes it even worse. Like. It makes it even harder for me to watch it. You know what I mean? If it was on at night, there's a possibility depending on what I'm doing. But during the day, uh, on a Saturday, I usually have enough shit going on where I'm I'm busy. So, well, that's what uh, I was thinking too. With it starting at two and the main event 
roughly being two and a half, three hours in, the main event would probably take place at five. So that's really weird. But, you know, yeah, like I'll have to time. see the time of that. Yeah, because I was going to say, we usually take a hike and things like that up at the mountains. So I'll have to see on the timing if, if I even do catch the live live card. But, you know, we wanted to bring this up because it's definitely a, a hugely anticipated fight with uh, Khabib returning for the first time in, in, in a while and having a pretty formidable opponent in Gaethje. So I'm definitely interested in the main event. And, of course, this Sunday, as we already mentioned, WWE has their next pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell. Uh, of course, that's from Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center, the WWE Thunderdome, and all that fun stuff. Um, but there's not a whole lot of stuff as of uh, when we're recording the show. I'm sure there's going to be more stuff added on SmackDown this upcoming week. But uh, let's run through a quick little preview. There's only been four matches announced up to this point. Uh, there is a match that I didn't really know was happening until I tuned in real quick uh, on Monday night. Um, but Jeff Hardy and Elias is happening. And uh, I was going to ask you if you saw this or even heard about this. But uh, Elias has an album coming out, like a real album. And last night on Raw, he performed, I guess, what the single is from the album. And of course, it was terrible because it was supposed to be like a live performance. And it was pretty clear that it was all lip synced and everything. But I don't <laughs> know if you saw any of that. But boy, this is uh, uh, I don't I don't think this is going to work out. That Like, I think this is the kind of thing that maybe could work out if there were crowds right now. Because it could kind of, you know, catch on as like a goofy cult thing. But like with the Thunderdome and everything, like, no, this is uh, this could be the death nail for Elias, I think. It's pro wrestler Elias playing pop star doing a cappella. <laughs> like, dude, it's not going to work. And, and that's a case, hey, you know, where you watched it so that Jay doesn't have to. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't I don't need to see that. But, yeah, I did. I did see the um, I think I mentioned in the last podcast. I did catch a, a cool triple uh, threat match with Jeff Hardy, Seth Rollins and AJ, I believe it was. And Elias came at the end of that and hit him with a guitar. So I did see like the setup for this. So. Um, this is your typical WWE kind of matchup. You know, you got the the legend and Jeff Hardy and somebody that, you know, this will be well worked. I'm, I'm sure they'll give it like eight to 10 minutes, one of those things. And it will be, again, just a typical WWE, as you always say, something that could be on Raw or SmackDown on a quote unquote pay-per-view. Now, this is where the show gets really weird because I didn't know this until I was talking to somebody uh, recently, it might even have been you. Actually, I, forgive me if it was, and I don't remember. You but um, remember, hey, yo. it's it's Hell in a Cell, and naturally, that would usually mean that the main event is a Hell in a Cell match. But nope, that's not the case. There are three Hell in a Cell matches set up <laughs> for this show, and that's the rest of the card that's been announced so far. And that is, of course, Bailey defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Sasha Banks in a Hell in a Cell match. Uh, it's Drew McIntyre defending the uh, WWE Championship against Randy Orton in a Hell in a Cell match. And Roman Reigns defending the Universal Championship against Jey Uso in a Hell in a Cell I Quit match. Um, okay, here's here's the thing here. Um, Bailey and Sasha, uh, they're on the poster. That might very well main event, especially because this has been like years in the making kind of a thing. Um Drew McIntyre's most likely going to lose to Randy Orton. Uh, I would imagine it's time for him to lose the title. Uh, they've had enough matches, so it seems like that's the way WWE typically books main events like that, where they'll have a dude lose twice in a row and then come back the third time and win the belt. And, uh, you know, I think Jey Uso and Roman Reigns is going to be pretty good, but, I mean, I, I don't think Roman's going to lose the title. Um, but, you know, I also think that's probably going to be the best match of the three. 
Um, I think Bailey and Sasha could be really good too, but I'm really not looking forward to Drew and, and Orton again. I'm kind of burnt out on those two. I, w- I was laughing bringing up the preview uh, as a reference on the pod and to go over it with you. And I was actually looking forward to it because I was laughing. I'm like, Jeff Hardy and Elias and then three Helena cells. And that's yeah. it. And, and I got to say to that, dude, thank God we don't we aren't expected to pay full price $60, $70 for Because the effort they put in, and, and as you mentioned, uh, recording uh, earlier in the week with SmackDown dropping on Friday, um, of course, they'll flesh some of this card out. But nonetheless, man, it's less than a week from the pay-per-view and you have four matches announced. Uh, that's probably like half the card. I mean, that's that might that's no, cheap, man. I mean, well, th- yeah, these hell in the cells might go long. Talk. That's what loud. I was going to say. Do you think yeah. this is going to be all like, may, there might be maybe something added to a pre-show or maybe one other match, but like, I think this is, this very well could be the whole card. Honestly, I would kind of like that because I'm looking for longer matches in, in WWE. We've been talking about that, like in comparison mm-hmm. to how AEW has been treating their current product with their focus on in-ring and things like that and meshing their stories a lot better than WWE's. Because as we mentioned, off-air kind of prepping and stuff and talking about the WWE product, it's like, can you even call their creative department creative right now? I think it's just <laughs> department. <laughs> yeah, the so, booking people. Um, I think we both said uh, we're into the the Reigns and Jay Uso uh, stuff, and that's pretty much like one of the only things that I'll talk for myself that I'm interested in right now. Same. And Same. then look at the other other two matches uh, already covering Jeff Hardy and Elias. You have two recycled things, like you said. You're sick of Orton and McIntyre, and then Bailey and Sasha. This might be the seven thousand one hundred and fifty fourth confrontation between the two. So um, there's just too much staleness there. And I think that's why we do gravitate, uh, of course, more towards the Roman Ray Jay Uso thing, because Jay Uso is in a spot right now that mm-hmm. he might not have been in, you know, in a different situation. So I'm, yep. I'm enjoying how they're building that up, and I'm definitely into that. So so, so we'll see. I mean, it's not like uh, Bailey and Sasha and, and Orton and McIntyre can't go. So they might surprise us as well. But I think we're both just kind of burnt out on the recycled matches as we've talked in recycled previews of these pay-per-views in WWE over the weeks and doing the pod. Yeah. I mean, it's dude, it's just really getting old. I mean, I know like, and for a while we were totally giving them a pass because it's like, you know, during the pandemic, we know that not everybody's available and things like that, but now we're to the point where everybody's pretty much available. Like there's not anybody in the company that's, you know, like Roman was the big holdout for a while. And I know they're not using Brock right now, but like, other than that, like everybody else is back. We'll talk a lot about it. Then do something like the Jay Uso thing that we're into with, yep. with McIntyre, you know, have him go against somebody that, that deserves a shot that's on the undercard, you know, even like off the top of my head, like, and you know, me with smaller guys and things like that. And, and I know how Vince looks at them and he kind of fell out of Vince's favor, but somebody like Ricochet, you know, who I yep. think like his, his whole entire it looked like he was getting pushed there. I mean, this is a while ago to this point, and then it just got flatlined. They had him just yeah. lose to Brock in 20 seconds, and now he's been doing the usual WWE mid-card floundering with no no real creative. And it's probably going to stay that way because, yeah. you know, for whatever reason. But um, also uh, in the world of pro wrestling here as we move along, uh, this is actually really good news. Uh, two things that I have on this, but uh, Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 has been renewed for 14 episodes on Vice. 
um, which is really cool. Uh, we've we've reviewed a lot of the shows here in the past, uh, here on the pod, and uh, you know me and the Jay are both definitely big fans of this. And another thing that I saw that's actually really cool, it, it's uh, something that I think is going to make this show better, uh, because if you if you guys are long term listeners and you listen to those reviews, there was a lot of stuff that we picked apart in some of those episodes for being factually incorrect. Um, and I think they might have finally found the thing to help them there. But uh, David Bixenspan has been kind of working along with him as a consultant for the new season. And he's somebody that's, you know, he writes for a lot of different websites like Deadline and things like that. Uh, but he also uh, is part of one of my favorite podcasts that exists and it's Between the Sheets, um, which is really cool. Uh, if you guys are into wrestling, definitely check out Between the Sheets podcast. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, as far as people go, you know, fans and stuff like that go that know their shit and can help correct those small little errors. Uh, he's the one to do it. So I expect season three to be even better moving forward. That's what's cool about seeing the evolution of Dark Side of the Ring. Hey, Ed, as it is the um, the series that's the highest rated in Vice TV history. Yep. Um, and I bring that up also because it has transcended your typical hardcore wrestling fans. Yeah. Where like I was with my dad and some of his buddies at lunch a couple weeks ago and they brought up some things and how I was involved in wrestling and different things like that. And somebody just out of nowhere without even me being the wrestling guy and kind of talking about it. One of his like older friends brought up like, do you guys ever watch that dark side of the ring? You yeah. know? So that's always like the, the Littman's test for, for the popularity of, of pro wrestling. Um, as we know, being the niche guys, you know, in the like horror movies and wrestling, it doesn't always break that mass media appeal and this show definitely seems like it is well, and dude, some of the um no go ahead Hale. well i was gonna say this is kind of the weird thing i was thinking about this uh whenever this first got announced and i was just like thinking about the show in general but you know me and the jay have been wrestling fans for a long long time we've talked about this on the show many times um but there was a time period for us where we were just fans of wrestling and then we kind of got involved with the, like when the internet started to explode and we got for the first time uh, really exposed to like a lot of the backstage stuff that goes on. And as a wrestling fan, it's almost twofold. Like you like to watch wrestling shows and you like wrestling product, but at the same time, a big part of your fandom consists of reading about a lot of the stuff, subscribing to maybe dirt sheets at some point in your life, uh, stuff like the wrestling observer, things that tell you the real goings on behind the scenes in the world of wrestling. And I think that Dark Side of the Ring is the first time that a lot of casual fans or people that may have watched wrestling years ago are kind of getting a taste of that kind of thing. And it's something that they like. And it's I didn't realize it really until I was thinking about it earlier, that that's kind of like a new version of bringing people into the fold in that kind of a manner. Exactly. And and you're talking, we always call pro wrestling the, the circus, you know, it's like mm -hmm. the modern circus and there's, it's so unique and it's so interesting to begin with. So then when you start getting into the real life stories and the behind the scenes and the crazy stories, albeit a lot of them are very depressing, but the truth's the truth at the end of the day. And this, these stories are, are just really interesting. And of course, it has to be told in a, in a great storytelling package, which Vice does wonderfully yep. um, with, with the producers. Um, I'm, I'm, I think you even personally know yeah. Evan Husney the Evan dude. And, yeah. uh, and Jason Eisner, who's the director for a lot of the episodes, who some of you might be familiar with because he directed the movie Hobo with a Shotgun. 
and they do a great job. So I don't know if you heard this, hey, yeah, from from what you've heard, uh, as they have not officially announced which, which topics the third season is going to cover. But PWI's insiders Mike Johnson reports that episodes will follow Grizzly Smith, Jake the Snake Roberts, Rockin' Robin, and Sam Houston. And then Eric Bischoff leaked that he was doing some commentary about a possible Brian Pillman episode. So already getting pretty interesting, especially if they're covering 14 full episodes uh, this this season and there's no word yet on whether or not Vice TV will continue the dark side after show after dark hosted by my man Chris <laughs> Gethard. Dude, this is so funny that you mentioned this. So I was like on Facebook or something one day, right? And I I fell like down a rabbit hole of videos, and like whenever you watch them and it finishes up, it just goes to like another random video, okay? And one of the things that popped up was this Comedy Central like stand-up thing and he was the dude and so i was like all right let's see if this dude's funny and he was but like the one thing that he mentions he's like hi everybody i'm chris gethard i appreciate you guys having me here today and shout out to you bill the announcer guy for not calling me chris get hard he's like (laughs) he's like i fucking hate when people call me get hard And I'm like, well, man, I hope I don't ever meet you because that's definitely going to slip out somehow. Uh, that is great. But yeah, I just I meant to tell you that and I forgot all about it. And it just popped in my head right there. But uh, but yeah, I actually thought that the after show was good. Um, but of course, like most things, uh, the show was probably going to be completely different before COVID hit. So they were, you know, they had to go to like the Zoom call for the show. And I don't think that's what they originally planned. Gotcha. Yeah, because another thing that that Bischoff revealed um, that I didn't mention was the 1995 Collision in Korea event headlined by Ric Flair and that would be great. So that would be absolutely great. Looking forward to it. Did they give? uh, Because what I have pulled up uh, doesn't have it. They didn't give any sort of release date or even a time frame. No, nothing yet. I I know that they are currently working on the season, and I think the announcement today was essentially just that. They've renewed them for a third season. And there's gonna, yes, and there's going to definitely be 14 episodes, So, which would make for the biggest season they've had yet as far as episodes go. Exactly. So that, that's really cool, too. Um, moving along here, uh, something else I know me and the Jay are both excited for. Coming up this Friday, the same day that this show drops on Shudder, is a brand new Halloween special, uh, a brand new Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Um, they dropped the hints. I don't know if you saw this or not. Did you see the hints that they dropped? For no, the new- where, where are they? I could never so, find them. Are they just on his Twitter page? Because well, I was looking at that and I was following Darcy. He did a video that was like a preview for the, the thing on the 23rd. Okay, I did. I caught the one with the no zombies that he was talking about, like the well, zombies are banned or something. Well, no, that's the, uh, that, that's the video that he talks about, but he gives away the things in the... The clue. Yes. So it was... Uh, both movies have druids. Uh, they were made 31 years apart, and they both have zombies associated with them. Oh, they do have zombies associated with them. So I think I figured it out. All right. So in this, Hit me with it, hey, yo. So there's druids in both movies, and the only reason I think I figured this out is because I just watched one of them recently. So both movies have druids. They were made 31 years apart. They both are associated with zombies, and uh, another clue that he didn't give you is that I know this is they're both already on shutter because usually they don't put new stuff up. It's just stuff that's already on there. 
So I think the one movie uh, is going to be Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. Okay, that's the zombie there. And the other one is going to be George Romero's Season of the Witch. Because A, George Romero is obviously the godfather of zombies. And another, it, it's, it meets the, the time frame. It was made 31 years before House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, they're both on Shudder, of course. And I also think they're doing it to kind of troll people. Because for years, people have wanted them to show Halloween 3. They don't have the license for it. Uh, but if you remember, what's the full title of that movie? It's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Witch. So they can't show that Season of the Witch, so they're going to show this Season of the Witch. So I don't know if I'm right, but I think I am. We'll see, because there's been other times where I thought I'm right, and I was halfway right or wrong or whatever. So we'll find out on Friday if I'm correct or not. But, uh, and but I'll re- blame the uh, concussions and Irish side drinking of the J. <laughs> but what, what, where are the druids in uh, House of a Thousand? Uh, when they go underground. Oh, like the the guys. Okay, I, yeah, I did know that. So it's, I had to think about that. And I just watched the goddamn thing. And I also think that they did that on purpose too, because like the there's not like if you're just thinking about it off the top of your head, you're probably not. Yeah, gonna remember like, there's was, druids in it. Exactly. Yeah. Good call. So like, who the fuck were there druids? And, and that's why I said, as as you said that's that. the only reason why I figured it out because I just watched that one like we were talking about on last week's episode. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, this Friday. If you're listening to the show, obviously earlier than 9 p.m., uh, you can get on Shutter anytime up to that point. And uh, watch the special. So I know that's what me and Jay will be doing this weekend for and sure. And if you're right, that that kind of works out because we uh, talked about both watching House of a Thousand and yep. kind of just gave a, our takes on it. But we can kind of break that down a bit. Yeah, so. that'd be pretty cool. Uh, also, there's been a very weird announcement, I guess. And when I say weird, I mean just the way that they went about it. Uh, there is a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film coming out, and it's about the legacy of Leatherface. Uh, And it's supposed to be, they're kind of going down the route of Halloween with this, where this is supposed to be a direct sequel to the original film. Now, they didn't release a trailer for it. Uh, It's weird because me and the Jay both were talking about this earlier. Um, He saw the poster that was dropped for the movie, and I saw the website. So whenever it was, you know, brought in front of me originally, I thought this was for like a video game or something. Um, but it's not. It's for a new movie. Uh, that's all we know at this point. So there's no further information. We haven't seen a trailer or anything like I said earlier. But uh, it's a new announcement. And I wish I could say that I'm super excited for it. But with what we've seen come out of that franchise in the last 15, 20 years, it's been nothing but generally pure trash. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the poster is really cool. We talked about that, too. I think that's why you were thrown off. It's not your traditional Hollywood looking, you know, big release kind of poster. It's very artistic. Um, uh, I'm sure you noticed they had in the bottom portion of it. It's like a really artistic version of like a mask kind of looking like Leatherface. Yep. Uh, but at the bottom, there's some detail in like the, the ones like the silhouette of the end of the first movie when he was like running around with the chainsaw. Yep. So I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, I mean, this could go. Any anywhere with us, so you know a, a lot to to see where this goes. But some of the early news that's official on it uh, that you had it mentioned was that the producer is Fede Alvarez, um, who produced the Evil Dead reboot and Don't Breathe, that was a uh, kind of modern cult hit, if you will. So. Um, yeah, we'll have to see, man. Not not too much news, but definitely worth bringing up, especially here here at the uh, the season of the witch itself. Hey, you know, here in October, and what's real? So, 
Um, curious to see where, what route they take with uh, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Absolutely. And those of you who listen to the podcast, and obviously the Jay, you know this about me, uh, there's few people that are movie-related uh, that I get as excited about as I do George Romero. And uh, recently, there was an email sent out from Shudder but it was from Daniel Cross, who is a author. He recently uh, co-wrote uh, a new book with George Romero called The Living Dead, uh, which I'm currently reading. Um, I kind of slacked off for a while after buying it and I uh, haven't caught up yet. Just like your boy, you know, I have a copy too. So, And uh, he put out a bunch of really cool stuff. So I'll just read this. So bear with me. And uh, we can obviously chat this up a little bit uh, when we're done. Yeah, we'll get through it here. But uh, the email basically said, quote, after George A. Romero's estate asked me to complete his unfinished epic zombie novel, The Living Dead, I spent some time cycling through a series of emotions. 90% of them were various variations of disbelief that I would be a part of finishing Romero's 50 year zombie saga, the same zombie saga that was my own origin story, having seen Night of the Living Dead at the impressionable age of five or six. The best way to shake it off was to get to work. That began with months of research, not only into Romero's work, but into the man himself, leading to what made him tick, interviewing his wife to understand his motivations, and studying the art that he loved so, that I might be inspired by the films and books that inspired him. Eventually, my research led me to the nascent George A. Romero archival collection, recently acquired by the university library system at the University of Pittsburgh, who have since acquired uh, his own archives as well. Um, I got permission to sift through endless boxes of Romero Epinephra, uh, production documents, cor correspondence, treatments, and yes, unproduced screenplays, seemingly hundreds. Soon, all of these items will be publicly accessible to read. This is exciting as the world is about to get a much fuller idea of the kind of artist Romero was, and more poignantly, the kind of artist he wanted to be, namely, one allowed to work in a variety of genres. Though that didn't happen, the archive allows us film geeks to, well, geek out at the Romero films that might have been. My co-author's note at the end of The Living Dead uh, includes a long list of unproduced Romero projects. Now that it's October, and officially George A. Romero Day is just behind us, here's a peek at just a few of the has-beens, or have-beens, or might-have-beens. The might-have-beens. Uh, Wine of the Fawn. This was intended to be Romero's directorial debut, a Bergman-esque tale following in uh, travels of a 15th century traveler in England. It's a great read and includes an ending every bit as unexpectedly brutal as Night of the Living Dead. The Bell Witch. This is one I've actually heard about for years. Uh, based on the Tennessee legend, this was a project that Romero worked on for decades in different itinerations. Uh, the idea of seeing him work in an early 1800s setting is tantalizing, something I also agree with. Bigfoot. Romero's interest in the Bell Witch is bested only by his obsession with making a Bigfoot film. The archives are stuffed with his repeated efforts, including some wonderful sketches. He came close twice, once in the 70s with a script called The Footage, and again in the 2000s with one called Cryptid. Gun Person. Though awkwardly titled, this is one of my favorite unrealized Romero projects, a Western populated entirely with women. Seeing as Romero was a diehard Western fan, it's interesting that his only real stab at getting one made took this angle. The Power. One of the most commercially attractive properties in the archives is this big-budget TV pilot, which has the feel of the Godfather set in the world of vampires. If I had to bet on one of these unmade scripts getting a future green light, it'd be this one. 
And something I wanted to add with this one is, if I remember correctly, this is something Romero did and was shopping around in the early 90s because once he decided to give Hollywood a try and it really didn't work out after the dark half, came home back to Pittsburgh and started getting work on something that he wanted to do with television. One that I've always been excited about is the next one, War of the Worlds. The night they came, Romero does H.G. Wells. Need I say more? Well, I will. It centers on a UFO crashing into a skyscraper and unleashing aliens into the building. That's one of the things that I remember Romero himself talking about that I was actually really curious on seeing what his take would be like if he ever got to make it. Unfortunately, he didn't. Uh, the next one is probably the one that excited me the most, and me and you actually talked about this when we shared the information originally, is Monster Movie, one of the older projects in the archives. This is a campy send-up of 1950s monster flicks intended to star the Pittsburgh Steelers. You read that, right? Now, <laughs> that would be amazing, especially something that I just picture in my head something that he was working on maybe uh in the time period of dawn of the dead so this would have starred many of the pittsburgh steelers of the 70s which would have been really cool uh mickey b Macbeth with robots uh no we didn't get these project but george a. romero changed the face of horror we can hardly complain about that can we stay scared and that's uh the email that went out and i think that this is absolutely incredible because think about this, man. How frequently when a, a director passes, do you get any sort of access uh, to basically their unfinished works? And some of these are things that we've heard about in the past that were rumored to be projects uh, through the years. Yeah, that was the biggest thing about it. Like you said, man, somebody that me and you basically idolized as, as Pittsburgh boys into film as much as we are, of all people, to have these archives kind of uncovered uh, for George A. Romero, I'll, I'll take it. And that was when, when you sent that to me, I think I read it like twice, you know, just to kind of start picturing what these these could have been. And that always sucks, you know, is, is just the fact that we know that obviously this can never happen, any of these films, but may, maybe one of these ideas can get put in the right hands and, and, and recreated into some, some solid art that, that basically at least comes from the, the mind of Romero, you know, going back to it. So th this was really cool to, to read and kind of think about. And I think this is just, you know, me reading into something, but this is an email set out by shutter. So that tells me that shutter is most likely interested in getting some of these made. Um, I don't know. Like I said, that's just an assumption by me based off, you know, what I'm reading here. Um, but that would be very cool. And I would totally be open to that idea. It would be interesting to see what they could get done. Um, and another thing is just as a Romero fan, um, I'm looking forward. I don't know how this works or anything, but I'm definitely going to check into it. I'm looking forward to being able to go there and check some of this stuff out. Like I, I want to be able to go read some of this stuff and see what, see really what they cool. have. So that's going to be really interesting to see what's, you know, available and what we can actually see. And, and uh, you know, that, I'm just super excited about all that in, in general. The other side of it too, that shutter maybe should consider is doing a documentary or even like a mini documentary with Daniel Krause, um, him showing these off yes. and kind of putting that into a package. You know, that would be something that's, that, that would be, uh, interesting to check out. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be extremely cool just to, you know, even if somebody would go down there and if they would do just like an hour long thing where like they toured the archive and kind of talk to people and about what's in it and maybe talk to Romero's ex-wife or his, you know, his widow, essentially, 
um, about some of this stuff and, and, you know, how it got into their hands and what they hope to do with it. And, you know, yeah, that would be very cool. I would definitely be down to watch something like that. And, uh, you know, I think that's the one thing I was kind of lukewarm on shutter when it first started, but seeing the way that they've developed themselves into something through the last couple of years, um, I think that shutter is definitely one of the most important entities in the world of horror today, because they can, they have a fan base and they have a base of subscribers and people like that. And it allows them to have access to things and to make things and get it directly to horror fans. So I think that that's an exciting prospect. It's so funny because, you know, with it being the 31 nights of Halloween and watching a ton of horror, I was watching some stuff that, you know, time just goes so fast. It's 2020. So, you know, watching stuff from like 2008, in that kind of era, that's that's like freaking, you know, over fifteen years ago and stuff. Yeah. And it's like the 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 previews I would have on, like if I was waiting for my wife for like the movie to start, I would just keep on the beginning of like the Blu-ray. Yeah. And the commercial came up for Fearnet. Remember Fearnet? Oh, yeah. Yep. I was like, dude, I forgot all about this. So, and I think there was like other stuff like that before. Like this, this has been attempted numerous times. Yep. And the cool thing for us horror fans is it, it looks like Shutter really got their hooks in it, and they're really starting to evolve and grow. So. Yeah, Shudder's definitely a cool thing. And I, you know, just as a horror fan, man, you want you want things like this to thrive. Yeah, and I think that they do a lot of stuff that caters to what I feel horror fans are. Like, that's why if you guys listen to the show and you don't really care about horror or it's not, like, one of your main interests, uh, you hear us talk about Shudder all the time. And, that's, and we talk about Joe Bob all the time. And I think that that's one of the things that gives me hope with Shudder. Because they, I feel like they're catering directly to what horror fans want, not what would sell well to them. Not They have it, their finger kind of on the pulse of the fan base, and they understand the things that those fans want. And they're trying to deliver as much of that type of stuff as they possibly can. And so far, so good. I don't really have a lot of complaints. I think Shudder's definitely worth, what is it, $5.99 or $6.99 a month, whatever it is. Um, every month, I manage to get a few good watches out of it. And then months like this you know, with like, we're doing the 31 days of horror and stuff like that. Um, you know, I get a lot of stuff in and it's, it's very convenient. I would implore anybody even remotely into horror, even just if they get it every October, you know, Mm -hmm. it's highly worth it. And you always can start with a free preview. Uh, that's something too, that I want to make clear. So if you want to try shutter or you, you know, you think it sounds interesting, you could do so for free. They have a, always have a free sign up for new subscribers and stuff like that. So uh, it, you can always try out the product before you buy. And plus, for the money, I think it's well worth it. It's not that expensive. It's much cheaper than a lot of other streaming services. And you get a lot for your money from what they deliver on a month-to-month basis. I, yeah, I can't wait for the, the Joe Bob, too. Um, that's this Saturday, right? It's Friday. This Friday. Yes. Yeah. So, so that yeah. should be pretty cool. So when this podcast drops and you're listening to this right now, you know, it'd be worth maybe even looking into your free sc- subscription and you could follow our yeah. take on the Joe Bob Spress- that, special that, as well. That's a good way to absolutely do it. So if you guys are listening to us and this sounds remotely interesting and you don't have anything planned on this Friday night, sign up for that that free trial and, and sit down and settle in uh, at 9 p.m. on Friday night to watch what Joe Bob brings that we seem to love so much here on the podcast. So it's a good opportunity to do that and do it for free. So why not? I was going to say, yeah, and, and no, Shutter is not a, a sponsor of the What's Real podcast. No. We just really like absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, also wanted to get into this before we take our uh, first commercial break of the show here. Uh, some sneaker talk this week. What's Real Sneaker Check. 
the J. I know you uh, had some some new kicks come in because I just happened to be at your house when they arrived this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, because the J and a bunch of my pals and my girlfriend obviously were cool enough to throw me a little surprise party uh, for my 40th birthday, which was already passed. But uh, I had no idea. I didn't see it coming. It was really cool. So obviously here on the show, I'd like to thank you and everybody else that may be listening uh, that took part in that. So thank you guys for doing that for me. I really appreciated it. And I had a good time. Uh, definitely was something needed too. Uh, but yeah, you had a, a pair of kicks show up when we were there essentially having the party. <laughs> Yeah, and we 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 had talked about these on the pod, and I had even mentioned I'm like, you know what, I might go for these, and uh, you know, I think these these came out on uh, Thursday, um, last Thursday last week, and they popped up, and I'm like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna go for them, and I did get the um, now I'm doing my weekly brain fart. Hey, the uh, Godim, the the Godim popped up, and um, the air raids. I got the the motherfucking air raids that are Oakland Raider colors with that infamous X. The straps and like Ed mentioned, the traction on the bottom of the shoe is for streetwear. Uh, as it says on the package, it's for both the the gym and the street. But I think the the tread w- was mainly for streetwear at the time. But they were like that was a nostalgia buy, as we discussed. And, and like me and you, you, you and I had mentioned with our take on fashion, those those fuckers go with a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it's and plus, man, this is kind of crazy. Just even it it totally hit me when we were there and I saw them. But I'm like, dude, that just reminds me of when we were in seventh grade when those came out. Exactly. And yep. I vividly remember people like that was like a shoe that people were like, oh, fuck, man, the air raids are sick. Like, you know what I mean? Like that was definitely a, in our seventh grade year, one of the most memorable shoes that, that came out that year for sure. Yeah, I remember a bunch of our boys having those back in the day. And again, that's one of the things that they kind of had it be a nostalgia buy for me. So I said, fuck it. Yeah, and another thing that I wanted to mention to you, because we we talked about these a little this weekend, uh, I already saw different colorways and stuff of the Jordan 35, and I was not very impressed. I think that uh, I really like the 34s. We talked about that before, too, and I think they kind of went down the same route, but like I don't like the design of the shoe. Um, but then I saw the Warrior, a.k.a. the bread colorway of these, and they're definitely my favorite ones, probably the only ones I would actually consider getting. Those are the ones I like. I, I'm looking into the Air Jordan 12 black Concords. Uh, they're all black Air Jordan 12s with a little teeny bit of purple. Yep. Uh, those come out on um, Thursday. So when we drop uh, this pod, you know, I'll have to tell everybody next week if I could if I get the Godim. And I'm also going to go for the Warriors. So I already even gave my wife the heads up. I'm like, I'm going for two more pairs and then I'm done for the year. But I, I really want to try to, to you know, try to nab the black Concords and the, the 35 Warriors. Yeah, and it's, of course, too, like I figured I was probably done for the year, too. But because of the J, I procured a gift card. So now I'm definitely going to get something <laughs> before the year's Gives over. Gives you a bump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I figured. So. Yeah, because there's there's those um the Dunk High Slam Jam Clear Blacks. Mm-hmm. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. So th- that's my cup of tea too. Um, Good luck. So yeah, I mean, it, it never ends as a sneakerhead. It's the dunks are so fucking hard to get your hands on right now. It is just brutal. Yeah, exactly. And it's like yeah. we were kind of discussing a little bit this weekend, man. It's if you really need to know the kind of money that Nike's making, they sell shoes that you basically say, "I will buy these," and Nike goes, "Now nah, we're good." 
Yeah. Like I'll buy a pair of shoes for $220. No, you won't. We don't need you to like, no, they're gone. We're good. We don't need it. Like that's, it's absolutely insane. Uh, but yeah, we have to take a quick commercial break guys. Of course, we got a lot of stuff for you in the show. As I said, we're going to talk about the mortuary collection, brand new to shutter, uh, coming up here in the show. We're going to take a look at the brand new Friday, the 13th fan film, never hike in the snow. Uh, of course we want to tell you guys too, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please drop a five-star review. It really helps out the show and gets more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen every week on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and of course, every week on ChurchillPictures.com. Give us a follow on the Twitter machines at What's Real Pod and the number one. Again, that's What's Real Pod one. And you can also email us here at the show about all of your comments, questions, or concerns at What's Real Pod at gmail.com. As I said, guys, we have a commercial break we got to take. When we come back, we're going to talk some NFL week six, including the Steelers, our usual power rankings. And of course, we're going to talk the tragedy that is fantasy football as well. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Hey, everyone. This is the Jay with the What's Real podcast here to talk about the unsung film from Churchill Pictures in association with Cut and Run Studios distributed by Bayview Entertainment. Detective Jones, played by Amadeo Fusca, is the lead on the case, following the path of the suspect, learning of his motives, and uncovering the meaning behind the symbols left at each crime scene. As Jones dives deeper into the mind of the killer, Eric, played by Jared Bajoris, becomes more engulfed in his alter ego, and the two collide in the middle of the investigation. One is an officer of the law, and the other is an unsung hero that emerges from the shadows. Directed by Damiano Fusca. The Unsung is now available to rent or own streaming and is now available to own on DVD. Go to churchillpictures.com for all the details. Stream today on vimeo.com or on Amazon Prime. The Unsung. Hope lives in the shadows. Hey, yins, guys. This is the Jay from the What's Real podcast, here to talk about the feature film Deference from Churchill Pictures and Cut and Run Studios. Deference, the award-winning crime drama, is now available to rent or own streaming on Vimeo.com or free for Prime members on Amazon Prime. Also, exclusively for What's Real listeners, the Collector's Edition USB format is now available for free for a limited time through the 2020 holiday season. You just pay shipping and the hard copy USB of the film is yours to own. Go to churchillpictures.com for details or just reach out for a copy via email at churchillpicturesllc at gmail.com or whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Deference. When tradition fades, order preserves respect. That's right, folks. We are back here on the show this week, and it is time to talk some NFL Week 6. And first up this week, the Jay, let's just get into fantasy because it has been a uh, catastrophe of sorts uh, this season for both of us. Um, but I, I'm checking in with you at this point to see if uh, if it's still a catastrophe for you because I'm giving you the, the, you know, the preview here. Yeah, it's still pretty bad for me. So how'd you fare this weekend, man? Well, hey, Ed, that's the Jays' advantage in comparison to you. As uh, we fully discussed, I fantasy manage two two teams in two different leagues, so I have two teams going. One of the teams, shout out to the Purple-Headed Warriors of my Stillers League that I'm in with my boys. They have come back from an 0-3 start 
for three straight wins. Hey, Ed, I'm now 503 and three and looking pretty strong. I had the second highest scoring in the, the league this week. Wow. So the, the PH dubs are, are making a comeback. And, and that's the benefit of having two teams because my other team still continues to have my worst start in 10 years of fantasy football. The Blue Dragons in the Rivers Edge League are 0 and 6, hey, y'all, and uh, 10th out of 10th place. So, um, kind of obviously have beyond given up on them because statistically they're already out of it, of course. So, all my focus is on the, the purple headed Warriors. So, let, let's how you, how, uh, hear how you fared, though, hey, y'all. Yeah, I lost again. So, I'm 1 4 and uh, 1 on the season. I am the 13th team out of 14 in the league. And this is what pisses me off. I was just looking at this uh, for the upcoming segment here. And uh, yeah, man, I have 614 points on the season. And that is literally better than half the league. And another disconcerting thing. So the guy that's in first place in my league is 6-0. and And he has 850 points. And the second closest to him, as far as points goes, is 699. Wow. So it's like, it doesn't look like anybody's going to beat this dude at all. Um, I look like I'm just totally fucked uh, moving forward, especially because, like, remember we were talking earlier on and we were saying, like, you know, oh, yeah, I keep losing, but every week I'm projected to win. Like, I'm getting to the point in the season where I'm not even projected to win. So, like, it's getting really bad. I am projected to win this week uh, so far. Um, but you know how that goes, like with whenever half your team ends up with coronavirus or can't play or they switch last minute schedules or guys get hurt in practice or God knows what other kind of nonsense can happen, um, you know, but it's it, it's just not looking good. And I'm getting to the point, too, where to even make the playoffs, I'm, I'm getting pretty close to having to win out. And I've I've had to endure probably like my worst weeks of buys so far so that's a good thing because it's still pretty early in the season so i can see myself making a run and i tend to do that anyway where i do shitty earlier in the season and do good on the back end um but dude this is the most frustrating thing i won my first game of the year and since then i'm oh four and one like that's just terrible so you can't expect to do much uh, with your season uh you know whenever you're kind of in that position so We'll have to see as the weeks go on, but uh, not going to hold my breath. Freaking 2020 hate y'all. Even with fantasy football, I look at my one bench and it's, you know, Q for questionable IR and then COVID-19, <laughs> you know, like the players denoted it being out for COVID-19, but that's 2020 for you. And um, you even told me a, a small tidbit just to wrap up the fantasy football talk uh, that I found pretty interesting. Uh, you were in a situation of having to pick up Ryan for Fitzpatrick <laughs> for the, um, the Dolphins, yep. and now they're putting Tua in, who uh, is, is something we said uh, weeks before that they, they maybe should have considered, but now that they're kind of evening out with their record and Fitzpatrick's kind of managing the games, I, that, that just kind of makes no sense to me now like i'll retract what i was thinking earlier but uh they're definitely putting two in now yeah i mean i get it because you know fitzpatrick just isn't the future of their team but i mean right at the same time i i really don't know if i would put him in at this point that's um, what i'm thinking maybe, and that was now, after like if, i said i was saying they should you know it, maybe so. if fitzpatrick got hurt you know what I mean? But I don't know if I would just pull it apart right now because they're doing pretty well. Uh, they're going into a bye week. So, of course, again, anything can happen in that time frame. Like, we could be talking about this in two weeks, and it's like Tua has coronavirus, and he's not going to start, and Fitzpatrick's now going to start again, or, you know, something else happened or whatever. But, like, hey, 
you know, and they're taking that chance too of Tua getting in there and uh, getting hurt again. Uh, I mean, obviously, you take that chance anytime anybody plays, but yeah, that's the other side of it. You know, it, it's weird uh, going into it, but I mean, I had a funny feeling. I mean, I'm I wasn't planning on starting Fitzpatrick moving forward, but he's been doing very well, so I was like, it wouldn't surprise me if I did start him moving forward. But then they do this, so it just uh, it just makes everything worse as far as I'm concerned with this shit. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also, let's get into it. The Jay we saw. The Pittsburgh Steelers completely dominate this past weekend over division rival uh, Cleveland Browns, winning the game 38-7. to um, Now, of course, as we always break this down with good, bad, and the ugly, uh, it's kind of funny because we still managed to have something from all three segments this week. So what did you have in the good category for us this week? Well, once again, I, I got to say it, it goes to Big Ben in the way he's looking this year from uh, not playing – the majority, you know, basically call it like pretty much the whole season last year. Yep. He's still managing the game well. He's still looking strong. Uh, you had even mentioned last week, it's a good problem to have. He he was missing guys. He got to get his timing down, but he's overthrowing people. Yeah. So I think this surgery might have made his arm even, <laughs> even better possibly. Yeah, he said yeah. it made it stronger. Yeah. Uh, so that and – um Mika Fitzpatrick uh, starting the game with an early pick six. Uh, those were my first uh, in the good column because a lot of people here in locally in Pittsburgh were thinking Minka wasn't looking as good as he has in the past, and he was kind of a somewhat bit of a worry. I myself was up in the air on that. I get what they were saying, but uh, that kind of solidified that he's still a hell of a safety. Yeah, I think it was a nice return to form for Minka, so I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, I throw Ben in there, too, because like Ben doesn't have these amazing stats like where he's throwing for 600 yards a game type stuff, but he's managing the game very effectively. He's not you know turning over the ball a lot, so I definitely want to throw Ben in there as well. Um, also, I wanted to throw in this week James Conner because I thought we saw a good, really good game for him. He had 20 rushing attempts for 101 yards. He averaged 5.1 per carry, and he had a touchdown. Uh, his longest run was only 14 yards, but it kind of showed you that they were just using him to kind of manage the clock. But I thought that was effective and decent, and it showed uh, that, you know, the uh, the offensive line is still getting pretty good here at run blocking. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is the offensive line. Um, they were able to hold Miles Garrett down to one sack, which was a coverage sack. So I'm not going to complain too much there. Um, and also just in general, uh, the defense, uh, was a good, cause I thought that they played a complete game this week. So that was pretty good. And obviously Claypool had another really good performance with four receptions for 74 yards. So no complaints there out of me. And that's, uh, that pretty, pretty much finishes up my good category. So, uh, what did you have this week in the bad? Yeah, I'm with you. Hey, you know, um, and my bad because they did have such a dominant performance. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you're never going to have perfect, but it, it is kind of tough to nitpick. Uh, one, one in my column, however, is the play of Juju. Same. Um, I'm not, I'm not worried about him, but nonetheless, he's definitely not a number one receiver or has proved such yet. It seemed like he's going to need, um, somebody like AB when he had his big numbers. So maybe Claypool or somebody like that can do that for him in the near future, hopefully here. But he was definitely in my bad column because he's not stepping up as I think we all feel he should. Yeah, I totally agree. I just think that, uh, you know, he had two receptions for six yards. He just doesn't look like he's involved with the game plan. He's generally out there as more of a decoy, which is obviously helping their other receivers. 
Um, but yeah, it's just not been a very productive season for him otherwise. And I think that it's, you know, they got to get him going, especially considering that uh, Deontay Johnson's missed so much time and other guys are just stepping up to basically, you know, step over Juju. So uh, I I totally agree with you there. And uh, I I have a funny feeling we're going to both have the same thing for ugly. And I'm just going to say injuries. Yeah. Devin Bush being missed for the rest of the season with a torn ACL is definitely the most ugly point uh, that I think uh, in a game where you win 38 to seven that you could possibly have. Yeah. And Mike Hilton as well. So always go back to injuries for the ugly. Yeah, absolutely. But I thought it was a pretty good performance overall by the Steelers. And, you know, it's especially too, because, you know, we were even talking about it in our power rankings about how the Browns have been really making a surge up to the top 10 and beyond. And, um, you know, the Steelers uh, pretty much showed you the difference between teams in the top five and teams that are floating around number 10. So exactly. Uh, now let's get into this, the Jay. We got our power rankings this week. What's real NFL power rankings 2020? We might have some changes here, some very interesting ones too. Uh, so, what do you think as far as the worst two teams in the league? Are we uh, officially out of the hundred percent New York territory? Getting the symphony ready. Hey y'all, New York. New York. Nope. The Jays sticking with New York. Hey, y'all. Okay. Um, I'm feeling you're putting the Giants up a little more. Um, definitely keeping the Jets at 32. And uh, again, just for my bookends and coming up, I mean, the Giants just still aren't showing me enough to, to get out of their spot for the Jays power rankings. Okay. Um, you know, I, I feel like obviously without Barkley, but, you know, other guys are injured and, the, the offense is just so limited and things. Like Although they I, have think, one of the, I think Deontay Freeman's done a pretty good job filling in at running back. He's kind he of has, up better I mean, numbers than expected, I think. Yeah, and going back to fantasy, I, I got lucky and picked him up, actually, in, in the one league, which helps. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just didn't think they did enough um, being one in five, having the worst – or one of the – they're next to worst uh, offensive efficiency in the, the league, 31st at 26.4%. So I just kept things at, at what where it was um, here in – uh, Big Apple tor- territory at the end of the Jays, 31 and 32 power rankings here. Okay, so we're in full agreement here uh, over the Jets at 32. But I did make a change uh, because of what I saw this weekend. Moving into 31 for me at this point is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought they completely shit the bed this weekend. Uh, they pretty much got pummeled. They didn't look good at all. And like I said, this changes for me on a week-to-week basis here. And that's why I do this every week and and try and make the change, you know, if necessary. Um, But they lost to the Lions. They got beat 34 to 16 and they really weren't in this game much at all. So I moved the Jaguars down to 31. Uh, So the Jay, who do you got from 30 up until 25? Perfect analysis. Hey, Eel, to keep things rolling, because that's where I have Jacksonville. So we just had a little bit of a difference there with the Giants in Jacksonville and where they're at. But um, I feel a lot of the same thing you do with Jacksonville, and uh, they're just really struggling. And again, you got to go by the records, uh, slowly creeping into halfway in the season here with these one in five teams. Yeah, you know what? I, I was going to say, too, it, for me at 30, I have Washington. And this is what what my line. Oh, of I'm thing. sorry. Yeah, you didn't say the Giants yet. Yeah, my bad. Well, I was going to say for me, I put Washington because it's like the the Jags were a team that they're just underperforming to me. They should be better than what they are. Uh, so that's why I have them falling down. And I put Washington at 30 because the Giants beat them. 
Okay, so they're one and five, and then just to go up one more spot at twenty nine, that's where I have the Giants because they just beat Washington. So for this week, okay, that all makes I- sense. I'm willing to move them up there as far as twenty nine goes. Who did you have at twenty nine this week? Washington. Okay, so, so now, that makes sense. Now at twenty eight, I made another choice here because they were a team that we saw got that got a win, but I still think they're ultimately one of the worst teams in the league. This is where I have the Atlanta Falcons. Ditto. Okay. And at 27, uh, it's another team that uh, just hasn't been living up to their billing at all. And uh, I have the Minnesota Vikings. This is where I have the Bengals. Okay. At 26, uh, as you know, it's a team that I've complained about quite frequently uh, throughout the year. And they managed to lose a game uh, this week that came down to the wire. The Houston Texans. That's where I have the Texans as well. And at 25, I, that's where I have the Cincinnati Bengals because I still think that they're better than a lot of these teams because at, at the very least, I feel like they have their quarterback situated. Man, that's what I was thinking too, and that's what's so funny. We're, we're, we're both pretty much on the same page, just a little bit different, uh, but that's actually where I have the Vikings. Okay, and uh, what do you got at 24? Uh, 24, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry, wait, we, we did 25 was the Texans, right? Then the Vikings. Um, 24, I have the Broncos. Okay, and this is where I have the Philadelphia Eagles because it's really hard to get out of the bottom 20s without doing that goddamn division. They are so bad. Um, so, and speaking of the division, at 23, this is where I have the NFC East leader, the Dallas Cowboys, at 23. I have the Detroit Lions here. Moving up to 22, uh, I kind of kept them in the same, well, not in the same position. They actually jumped up a little bit with a win over the Patriots this weekend, and it's where I have the Denver Broncos. Okay, that's where I put the Eagles at 22. At 21, I have the floundering 49ers. Okay, I put the Cowboys there. Okay. 21. Who do you got at 20? The Chargers. See, this is where I put the Panthers this week, falling down from 16 with a, a loss that they should have never uh, ran across this weekend. And at 19, I have the Chargers because that's where I had them last week, and they had a bye, so I just kept them at eight, at 19. Who do you have at 19? I have the Dolphins currently. Speaking of them, after a win this weekend, that's where I went with the Dolphins at 18. Okay, that's where I have the 49ers. I still think if they can get over some injuries – they're still staying in the middle with me, but they can easily continue to drop. Yeah, or they could go either way. You know what I mean? They just, That's what I mean. They just need to beat some good teams and do it in a good way. And I think the thing that really hurt them in my rankings, for example, was that Bosa. The, well, the blowout loss to fucking Miami killed them. That's going to drop them. Oh, okay. And that's, you know, and I have Miami above them at 18 because they've actually been able to pull out some games. And I will continue to say it on here, even though I'm, I'm questioning the, the thing with Tua starting, I still think Brian. Brian Flores is a really good coach. So, and at 17, I have the Detroit Lions uh, after getting the win this weekend. And that's where I have the Panthers. Moving up to 16, I have the team that got the win on Monday Night Football in a big way, but uh, they still need to do more to impress me. Uh, They beat the shit out of the Cowboys, so I have the Arizona Cardinals at 16. Great minds think alike, hate you now, for 15, I have the team. Now, they were just knocking on the top 10 last week for me, but after the dominating loss this past week to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I've moved the Cleveland Browns down to 15. All right, that's where I have the Raiders. At 14 this week, I have the New England Patriots because they lost to the Denver Broncos, so they had to fall a little bit. 
Yep, I have the Colts there. Okay. Now, at 13, now this is a big drop, but I have to also say that they suffered two losses during this time period because, as we mentioned last week, that uh, the, the Bills and the Titans would not count in our previous power rankings. So after suffering two losses since our last episode, this is where the Buffalo Bills have fallen for me. Oh, wow. Um. I went here with we're at thirteen. Yep, uh, the, that's where I put the Browns. Okay, I still I still gave them some credence. That's what I did this weekend with the Colts because I had them moving up to number twelve. Okay, I have the Bears there because as we keep saying, they're kind of bumbling and stumbling into a five and one record. But as we say, well, they have a five and one record. I agree there. Uh, number eleven. Uh, after suffering a loss that they should not have this past weekend, I dropped down the Los Angeles Rams out of the top 10. Okay, right outside the top 10, the J, probably due to, because uh, I agree with you uh, with the loss this week. I pondered that. I think it's still my fear that um, Belichick has put in me. <laughs> I have the Pats at 11. Okay. Now, we are reaching the top 10. This is going to be super interesting, I think, because we're going to see a lot of shuffling around from teams. So at number 10, I have quite possibly the worst five and one team that we've seen, and that is the Chicago Bears. Okay, that's where I put the Rams. So we're pretty close on that. At number nine, I kept them in the same place essentially because they didn't have a game this weekend. I kept the Saints at number nine. That's where I have the Saints. At number eight, I have them moving up because I still think that they're pretty good. Uh, I have the Raiders at number eight. Okay, yeah, I didn't drop them as bad as you. Hey, yeah, number eight is where I kept the Bills. Okay, number seven. This might be one of the most shocking drops, but they got beat down this weekend in a game that I think they should have won handily. And I had this team up there last week. Let's see. On my last week, this was my number three team. So I have them dropping to seven is the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, they dropped for me too, but not quite yet. Right here at seven, I have the Bucks, and at six is where I have the Bucks. I actually had them move up from fifteen to six after a, a dominating win. Yeah, they're looking consistent, man. They're young, and we said they got the the young solid team around Brady, so um, they they start clicking on all cylinders. They can be a competitor this year in the NFL, and as you said, um, that is. Uh, Six is where I have the Packers. Okay, now we get into the top five category. This is going to be interesting because we know we have some teams that have shifted around from week to week. Yep. So number five, the J, this is where I decided to put the Tennessee Titans after getting two wins since our last show. E2. Perfect. At number four, I have the Baltimore Ravens. I as well. Number three, still moving on up, is the Kansas City Chiefs. That's where I put the Steelers. And that's who I have it. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, my bad, head. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, Steelers at three. Okay. Number two is where I put the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I mainly did that after such a dominating win this past weekend. Um, again, this is week to week, so I have the Steelers at two. Yeah, wouldn't argue it. That's where I have the Chiefs. And, of course, number one, I'm assuming, again, for both of us this Seattle. week, is the Seattle Seahawks being on a bye. So this is getting really interesting moving week to week here, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, I like it. I, I definitely like it. I'm pretty comfortable with the – you know, I know that, like, you can get into a lot of discrepancies when you're in the teens and stuff like that. But, like, I'm very confident in the top five that I have here for the power rankings. I, I legitimately think these are among the five best teams in the league. And it 
also kind of shows you too, um, you know, there's only three teams in the NFL right now with five wins. Okay. And they're not the top three teams as far as we go. That is crazy. So, and it's also weird too. I brought this up to you this weekend uh, when we were kind of talking at, at your house door in the party, but I thought this was a really interesting stat in the way I brought it up to you too. So I'm going to just read this here, uh, here on the pod. Cause I think a lot of people will be interested. And I think a lot of people didn't know this coming into this weekend. So as far as quarterbacks go in the NFL, there were three of them with 70% completion percentage and 290 yards plus per game. One being Aaron Rodgers, one being Russell Wilson, and then I said to you guys, who was the third one? And it took a lot of guessing before we got to the answer, and that was none other than Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater. How mind-blowing of a stat was that? I couldn't believe it when I read that originally. It's crazy, crazy, and kudos to him. I mean, we said, I mean, hindsight's hindsight and things like that, but you know, you're not going to give up Breeze in New Orleans necessarily going into the season, but that could have been the wrong decision, as we said. Breeze has been struggling a bit. I mean, doing nowhere near the normal Breeze in his prime kind of play. And look what Bridgewater is putting together this year in Carolina. And that's without um, their their best player right now. McCaffrey, yep. and he's going to be coming back sooner than later. So uh, that's that's a team to watch. Definitely. Yeah, I think so too. So, uh, But that's our power rankings after week six here of the NFL. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, it is time for us to take another quick commercial break. And when we come back, it is time for our very first movie review this week. And that's The Mortuary Collection from 2020, just premiering on Shudder about a week ago. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everyone. It's the Jay from the What's Real Podcast here today to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damiano Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to churchillpictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation, Johnny Starr, on the streaming talk show, Alone Together Pittsburgh. We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today. And we're back here on the podcast. And as I mentioned before, we went to break. It is time for our very first movie review this week. As it being the Halloween season, me and the Jay are getting into some fun horror stuff. And that is exactly what we're talking about today with the movie we're going to look at. It's uh, from 2019. It's a horror anthology written and directed by Ryan Spindell. Uh, it stars Clancy Brown, Caitlin Cussler, Christine Kilmer, Jacob Lordy, uh, I'm not going to keep saying names that I can't say. Sarah Hay and Mike Nelson. This is the Mortuary Collection. Um, it is. It just premiered on Shutter about a week ago, and uh, me and the Jay figured it would be a good time to 
talk about it right about now. It actually had its world premiere at Fantastic Fest last year on September 22nd, 2019. Uh, there is a bunch of different stories in this one. Uh, so there's like essentially, let's see, like four different stories and then the wraparound. Okay. So the wraparound consists of, uh, Clancy Brown playing this, uh, weird guy that runs Ravens and mortuary. And one day, uh, a young woman named Sam responds to a help wanted ad outside and shows interest in a job working for him. When she agrees, or when he agrees to give her an interview, he begins to take her on a tour of the facility, uh, during which Sam shows curiosity about a small child-sized coffin, which Montgomery has recently performed a funeral for. Montgomery, Montgomery agrees to, sell, to tell Sam a series of stories about those that have died in Raven's End, kind of trying to coerce her, like, you know, I don't know if you really want a job here or not, and she seems really interested and doesn't care. Uh, and then we get into the very first story. By the way, there might be some spoilers in this. We'll try and keep it to a minimum, but you have to kind of yeah, get I was thinking on what we, the We just are. definitely won't spoil the end twist or anything like major, major. But yeah, we want to talk about it a little bit here. So the first segment is uh, takes place in the 1950s. Uh, and essentially, uh, this young woman goes to the restroom uh, during a party uh, because she's, she's stealing wallets from people. Uh, but she... Was, her curiosity was piqued by the bathroom medicine cabinet. She tries to open it, but she can't. When she pries it open, she finds a tentacled monster inside. And regardless, uh, no matter how much she screams, she is murdered by it. Uh, the monster drags the young woman's body into a cabinet and it closes behind her. Um, and this is just how they're, they're trying to set up that, like, there's weird goings on around here kind of a thing. Um, and they do it pretty quickly to, uh, immediately whenever the little kid, uh, drive or what is it? Uh, uh, he drops the camera in Clancy Brown's mortuary. And instead of getting his camera back, the kid just gets the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. He calls him a creeper or something. He's like, I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and Clancy Brown hamming it up, uh, in this role is really good here. It's it's one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this in the first place because I like Clancy Brown as an actor, and uh, it's kind of nice to see him get a role like this where he could throw on a bunch of makeup and kind of be hammy about it because he's really good like that. Oh, I think yeah, that that was some of my initial takes were were the setting of this. It, it's cool that it's like you know the whole quote unquote sleepy town, you know Raven's yep. End, you know the the kind of fictional setting, not a real place kind of cool setup to start everything like you said with the kid with the camera clancy brown is is great to kind of carry the the moments in between the storytelling and things like that and um and again not to spoil anything but that aspect with the intertwining of them telling each other stories to what goes on in in their the real life you know not the stories is it yep. tur turns into a cool part of it so all, all that initially uh but but one big take on the whole thing ed as a whole was the the, the kind of world this movie creates because you know me i always look at the aesthetics and the, the look yep. and feel of it and they did great with everything man like everything looks great um i think this first one that we're covering here the story with the the wallet thief kind of go in the bathroom and the tentacled monsters kind of a homage to lovecraftian kind of horror so you know yep. me, i like that kind of stuff so i enjoyed that first one it's and that, that's what is cool about that it's like not overdone it that that first segment's kind of quick and easy and kind of get you into it yeah and you don't really know to begin with 
like when you're watching this, you don't really know what time period you're dealing with as far as the Ravens and Mortuary goes. Exactly. Um, you know it's not modern day, but you're still not quite sure because they don't get into a lot of it, like what this actually is and what time period you're dealing with. And that's really cool that they do that because and, – and I'll explain as we go along here. So what the, the part that I just explained about the woman being taken into the closet, it, um, it's pretty clear that it's the 1950s, Okay. And that's just to start the movie out. So then we go back to the, the you know, uh, Clancy Brown and Sam, and uh, they're talking. And this is the very first story, okay, that, that Clancy Brown tells her. And it takes place in the 1960s. And it starts out on a college campus with this group of kids, and they're passing out condoms, and they're talking about sexual liberation. And you pretty much quickly, uh, you know, get the idea, like with the guys talking amongst themselves and stuff, they're doing all this just to get chicks back to the fraternity later on so they could get laid. So you see where this one's kind of going. And of course, through the process of doing this, they kind of all get enamored with this one girl that they see. And they're all trying to get her to show up to the fraternity party uh, later that night. Uh, long story short, uh, they get her to show up. And what happens is uh, our main character here, uh, this guy named Jake, he's a frat boy. He's like the leader of the frat, so to speak. And um, he's trying to accomplish the feat of sleeping with 67 women. And whenever you do this, it, they do like a big ceremony for you. And it just so happens that this girl they all have their eye on uh, named Sandra, uh, she would be number 67 for him. So they go to a party, long story short, uh, he essentially uh, consummates their relationship, so to speak, and in the process of things, he doesn't use a condom, unknowing to her. Uh, the next day, he immediately wakes up with all kinds of weird physical ailments, he doesn't look good, he doesn't feel good, and if you would ask him, it seems to think that he is potentially pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> way to end your uh, your start on this one, hey, Eof, because yeah, this this one, um, this is another one we throw the word around, but it's just a great description for stuff like this. It's just a fun, fun segment, I thought. I, I like this to kind of see where it's going. There were some funny parts, and, and this was really carried by actor Jacob Alardi that played uh, Jake. Um, he, he does great because he's one of those ones, he has like – He's able to 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 do that in in a situation like this where you need the 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 fine line between like having a douchebag character, but him having enough charisma that he's he does have some likableness to him. You know what I mean? And he has and to, I, He also has to have some physical char characteristics to be able to pull off like physical scenes and weird exactly. faces. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. He does so very well in this. It, it kind of is just a fun take to see where this is going, and he's freaking out. And one of one of my favorite scenes, and again, non spoiler, is when they um, are at the uh, frat going through one of their traditions, and they're hoisting them up on this thing, kind of bouncing them around, and he's going through all this stuff, and there's some really yeah. gross shit that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there there were some cool effects, some grossness, and and again, this you know, not knowing what to expect, you know, kind of getting a small tidbit of a, of a taste with the uh, the first segment that, that we've discussed with the tentacle. Th this kind of being more of a fleshed out story, as you mentioned, um, with Clancy Brown's character Montgomery Dark telling it, you kind of see the vibe of of how these stories are going to be, and there is a lot of grossness and and stuff like that 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 ends up carrying on throughout that we'll get into, but this one kind of established it in a lot of aspects. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I, the one thing that I like about this too, not to get too far ahead of myself, is all the stories are increasingly different and they're not the same type of horror. So this one is, is essentially a body horror story. Um, cause what happens to the guy and whatnot, but like, it's a really interesting take on like the, the sleaze bag, uh, you know, frat, frat boy, boy who doesn't yeah. want to use protection and what can happen if he doesn't. And the whole, you know, it, it's just a really interesting story. I really like this one a lot. And I thought, and, and at first I'll be honest with you, uh, after watching this part, like, at, you know, like at this point in the movie where this part's just wrapping up, I thought that they'd made a fatal mistake and just clearly put their best foot forward immediately. And I'm like, okay, it's probably going to be all downhill from there. But I was wrong and I was happy that I was wrong. But it was definitely a good way to start this one out. Yeah, it was it was really enjoyable and fun. And I was like, you know, again, you kind of get in the groove, the groove as a viewer, like, dude, I, as, a, as an anthology fan and stuff, because you know how it is. Hey, Ed, there's a lot of anthologies out here. A lot, of you them. know, now that it's 2020, a lot of different smaller budget things have attempted it. And, and you know, the problem is uh, a lot of the time, of course, just how uneven they are and things between the different stories. So th this one was establishing itself early here with, uh, again, like the teaser if you will, kind of segment. And then this, this longer one to see how the, st the storytelling was going to be, how they're going to handle some of the, the more hardcore, like gross out stuff. So yeah, I was, I was definitely hooked by this, by the end of this, this first segment and story, if you will. So at this point they went back to Sam and Montgomery at the mortuary and uh, he kind of, you know, was like, well, what do you think of that story? And she kind of was like, well, it's a cool story, but it's, and she, but she was laughing about it. And, uh, and she was like, yeah, but it wasn't really scary. And he's like, oh, well, you want a scary one? Like, okay, well, then uh, what about this one? So they go into another story, and this one clearly takes place in the 1970s. So already in the movie, we've seen something from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which I thought was really cool. So this is a story about a guy named Wendell Owens. He's depressed and devoted to taking care of his wife, Carol, who clearly is not really there. She's alive, but she doesn't talk. She's prone to a chair. Uh, she's essentially a mute at this point. Um, and he's forced to plan his entire life around her because he has to take care of her. And uh, she has a doctor named Dr. Kubler who one day puts a suggestion into his mind uh, saying that he could accidentally overdose his wife on these particular painkillers that she has to take and no one would ever know. And you know, he, he, he seems really like pissed off in, that he's in this scenario and he doesn't really want to deal with it. But at the same time, he also doesn't want to kill his wife. So with the idea put into his head one day, he decides to do it. And it doesn't quite work out the way that he expects. Uh, probably because uh, whenever he poisons her, it goes from poison to something that essentially looks like murder very quick. And, uh, and he gets further, further and deep into the story to the point where he's never going to be able to turn around again. And it's a perfect kind of, uh, revenge story of sorts. And, uh, the, tw there is a twist at the ending. That's also really cool that I won't give away here. And, uh, it, I'll be honest about halfway through, I really wasn't liking this one. I'm like, it's okay, but yeah, whatever. it was a slower burn. But by the end, I was like, okay, that's really good. I really like this one. Um, and it, although it totally had a different vibe than the first story, I thought that it fit into the story. It was almost like a revenge tale of sorts. 
but also with the twist at the end, it kind of changes that a little bit around. And uh, I thought the dif- the differences in the first two stories in this movie were so vast that I was really happy with that uh, at this point in the movie. Because Clancy Brown's character, Montgomery Dark, is is kind of like the wise old mortician. So he's kind of like – you know, for lack of a better way to explain it, like advising her as well between the stories and kind of telling her like what his kind of experiences with the town. Like, yeah, this the, is a weird town. Yep. And the, and the lessons, you know, like all, yes. all these stories are going to have like a lesson and things. So like, and that's like you mentioned with the revenge aspect on this. And this was like the first one, um, you know, cause again, the, the, the first segment we discussed had the kind of gross out stuff that we were talking about, but this one got really fla- claustrophobic and nasty at parts with some, some splatter and things. So um, like you mentioned, man, I was kind of, Seeing where it was going to go is kind of slow, um, but uh, I think James Bachman, I guess, is uh, Ralph Wilkes in this story, did mm-hmm. a great job. And, that, and that's another thing to point out in the review here. Hey, Ed, the, the acting they got as far as, you know, not two known people other than Clancy Brown, of course, um, yep. some really good acting in this as well, which, as we know, that's, that's what makes or breaks uh, anything, especially going back to the comparison I was making to some prior anthology pieces of shit. You know, there was really good yeah. acting uh, involved in this and James Bachman uh, kind of carried this story well. And, you know, again, I'm trying to like avoid non-spoilers. So it's tough to kind of talk towards the end of it, but the, the build up to it and what happens and everything was really solid to, to wrap this story up. Yeah, I thought this one was really good. And uh, and also, too, so, okay, there's another thing that I, I'm not going to fully explain, but there there is something to mention here, okay? so And, and it's revealed in this story. So uh, at the very end, Dr. Kubler and his wife come home. Uh, they find a dead man and recognize him as a babysitter. Okay. And there was a woman claiming to be the babysitter, but apparently she is a child murderer called the tooth fairy killer who also eats children. Um, they mention this and there's a reason for this. And I, I'll explain later. So after this story, we go back to essentially Montgomery and Sam and, uh, she is she, what happens is she takes a tooth from the, the remains that they found. So, and then we see another twist with her in Montgomery that I'm not going to fully explain here. Um, but you get a nice twist, and things aren't exactly what they seem, uh, with the people in the movie to begin with in the very first place, I guess. So, what you get too that's kind of cool is, is another weird situation actually i fucked this all up i'm an idiot (laughs) yeah because it's it's tough it's tough because kind of like the intertwining part of it really and obviously the more it goes on kind of spoils any twist you know we definitely don't want to do that in this so it's tough it's tough to explain and, and flesh out so yeah maybe just be a little more vague about it uh leading into it we could kind of like wrap up our take on it Okay, so what you get in the final segment is a segment called The Babysitter Murders, which is kind of a slasher story uh, that they do that's also really cool. It's it's probably the one with the the less reliance on the acting and more of a reliance on what's actually happening. Yeah, because that's why I enjoyed this. Hey, there was a big physical fight that is like – 
along the lines of any like classic film fights, you know, that just keeps going on and the two characters are just destroying each other physically in this house. And yes. I love that about this. That was a really good extended fight scene. Well, and it was kind of cool too, because if you look at the, you know, they have the wraparound being what it is. And then the first story is the gross body humor, but it's funny. The second one is just sad and it's like a weird revenge story in the middle. And then the third one is like the most action packed and exciting one of the three. So, and I thought that was a weird way to do it, but I thought it was actually a really good way because if you put the action packed one first, then the other ones are going to suffer because of that, because you're just not meeting the pace that the movie already set. So that was one of my notes. That, I enjoyed the pacing of this. Yes. The pacing in this is very strong because even when you think like, you know, you might be getting a segment in between here to kind of just chill out for a minute. You really don't because there's stuff going on with Sam and Montgomery that also pertains to the story that you kind of have to pay attention to as well. Yeah, that, that that's cool. Like all those little details that add up and, and, and again, not to, over divulge what Clancy Brown and his characters kind of doing, but I, I like the morality kind of lessons in between and how, yeah. you know, it builds up to, to of course the crescendo, which we're not going to get into. Cause, cause again, it's a pretty fresh movie and um, I, I would implore anybody that hasn't seen it um, to check it out because of a lot of these twists and turns too. It, it makes it a fun, fun ride. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that it's worth checking out and it's something that it, it, you know, upon first look, I really didn't think it was going to be any good, especially because I kind of knew that Clancy Brown was going to only be in the wraparounds. So I'm like, wow, this kind of fits all the things for like a really shitty movie, like where you get a known actor, you barely use him. He's like two to two, three days shooting and he's out of there. But that wasn't the case with this at all. I thought that all the stories were strong. I thought the wraparound was strong. I thought everything was well made. I thought it was gutsy of them to make a movie that that had something in like the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s because that the babysitter murders was clearly like in the 80s. So, you know, I really like that touch. I thought it was gutsy to do that. And it's something, as you know, the Jay, that somebody makes that makes movies. It's difficult to do a period piece anyway, but let alone to do something set in four different decades with four different looks and four different aesthetics that you got to kind of adhere to. Um, it's not easy to do. So I give them a lot exactly. of credit for this because this is really well made. And something else I wanted to mention, too, that really surprised me with this, because this is such a strong entry. Uh, as I said earlier, it was directed by Ryan Spindell. Uh, he's mainly known for making shorts. He made a short called The Babysitter Murders. He made another one called The Root of the Problem, Scared Stiff, Kirksdale, uh, Bundle of Neris, and We Come in Pieces, the rebirth of the horror anthology film in 2014. So it would only be fitting that his very first feature was an anthology. Um, and a very good effort by him because I felt that uh, he did a really good job. Uh, it's a really good movie um, and it's a really strong entry, especially for somebody that it's their first feature. Yeah, you summed it up really well. Hey, um, it was just very well made. It's a hell of an accomplishment. Um, like you like you mentioned, they cover so many different time periods. And then, like we said, like I love that aspect of the Raven's End being this. You don't know exactly what time period is or where it is, you know, it's like this fictional, again, yep. sleepy town. It, it's just a great setting, man. And again, I think it even gets more amped up that we're watching a, a fresh movie like this, not knowing what to expect and experiencing such a great experience during the month of October. That helped me personally a lot. You know, I was just in the mood for it, that sort of thing. So really yeah. enjoyed it, man. Um, to wrap it Dude, up, the Jay's well, take real quick here, before yeah, sure. you give your final take on it, this is yeah. one that I'd watched 
and I was like, hey, you got to check this one out. Um, where, did you feel it lived up to the way I built it up at least? Yeah, because I like like you don't over overdo things. Like I I'm known to my friends. I could overdo something, and, you know. My friends will watch it and be like, dude, that that wasn't that great, you know. Like you you kind of <laughs> you kind of put it to me like, dude, it was just like a really cool cool thing, like anthology. So the way the way you put it to me didn't have it built up ridiculously. Okay. And then like I said, not knowing what to expect, and it took me on the ride. Um, but again, I mean, it's it's something that even if you're not fully into the material, if you will, just like we're talking about, hey, Ed, how well made it is between the acting, the set design, the different period pieces that it encompasses, the interaction between Clancy Brown and the Sam character. I mean, it all adds up. I think you're going to enjoy it in some sort of way, even if you don't like it as a whore as much as us. I agree with that. That's a very good way of putting it. I, I would definitely agree 100% there. Um, I think most people get something out of it and I, I don't think that it's on a level where it's too low budget or it, you know, like we said, the, the usual distractions for, for low budget movies and stuff like that are just not here. There's no lighting problems. There's no acting problems. The screenplay is pretty good. Uh, it's well written out. Everything makes decent sense. Like there's nothing here that you're going to be frustrated or annoyed with throughout. So I, I think they hit all the, the good marks as far as what you want to see, not just out of a horror movie, but especially out of an anthology. Yeah, it did have me curious to to possibly track down something like um, the Babysitter Murders, the short by Ryan Spindell, you know, because yeah. it'd be like cool to see because that was like like you already mentioned, one of the segments was called that. So to kind of see where that, that came from and how he got the the eye of, of some investors and got some money to, to do this film. So, you know, kudos to him. And as we do in on the, the podcast here with the tagline for the mortuary collection, pretty cool one. Every corpse has a story. Okay. Sweet and simple. Hey, you and, and uh, here on makes our sense too. Yeah. And here on our um, review scale, I'm going um, out of five, a solid three and a half on this one. Okay. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I liked it a little bit more than you did. I gave it a solid four. Um, I was really impressed with this one overall. I definitely would recommend it. It's perfect for the Halloween season. And as we said earlier, guys, that's streaming on Shudder right now. I mean, I feel like this whole show has been like a, a commercial for <laughs> for Shudder, but... Yeah. I mean, they, that they time have of year, hey, Ed, it's, yeah, it's in a great, it's a great service. So, you know, I'll, pr- I'll promote, I'll promote what I like and use, you know, no problem doing that. So we got a little bit of time here before we take a quick break the Jay. So I feel like it's the perfect time to update the audience on where we're at. So, uh, you know, we are doing both the 31 days of horror. So, uh, where you stand and what have you watched since the last show? Yeah, so the Jays not doing bad considering my schedule, as I'm sure our regular listeners roll their eyes on, but it is what it is. Um, I am coming into this week, hey, Eel, at 10 plus watches from specific horror movies for the month starting on October 1st, and okay. including the two we watched for review Never Hike in the Snow and the Mortuary Collection this week. Um, my wife and I, uh, got on a little bit of a horror kick. I told you, uh, another rarity. We, we knocked down a triple feature 
just last night. Damn. So that was huge for us. And that included, uh, cause we started with the collector. I hadn't seen that in a while. I always remember liking that. And, um, we were both into it. We both really enjoyed it. And I had the sequel and she's like, yeah, we'll put on the sequel, you know, right after we watched the first one. So we watched the collector followed by the collection. Uh, then another one I had mentioned to you, it's uh, somewhat of a more modern, you know, last handful of years, one, um, that I know you're not huge on, uh, but we checked it out and, and enjoyed it. You know, it's definitely not a, a barn burner, but, uh, that was your next. Okay. And, um, I mentioned to you as well, I'll just throw this in there. It's a documentary, but nonetheless, it's a horror doc. And I finished, uh, Crystal Lake Memories last week. So this week I jumped on and watched Never Sleep Again, the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. Yeah, that's really good too. It's obviously, you know, shorter than Friday the 13th because it's shorter the series by like five movies. But nonetheless, they're both really extensive and they're both really good. And if you're a remote fan of either series, I highly recommend checking them out too. And that's something else that I was very happy to see Shudder put on there. I have copies of both of them, but just to have them available on Shudder, it's, it's like pretty sweet. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but years ago, uh, oh man, I forget off the top of my head what year it was. But one of the years at Horror Realm, they had the guys there that made Crystal Lake Memories. Oh, nice. So I got a signed copy of it from them. So that was really cool because I, I love that fucking thing. They're both really yeah, good. That's awesome. I just like Friday the 13th a little bit more. Uh, we, we were even poking fun at each other earlier this week about that with the uh, Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff that we were doing. But uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it's they're, they're both amazing. So like definitely uh, I recommend everybody check those out if they can. Yeah, I was going to say I really made out for them coming on Shutter because I've been eyeing them up for a long time, never tracked them down. So that was clutch and, and you know what's funny is like even being in the full swing of halloween and doing the 31 days and everything and the the two number one american horror franchises pretty much with halloween watching those documentaries get you in the mood to watch oh, yeah. the, the parts of the series because you find out shit you didn't know about or forgot about and things like that yep. in my case so i was i'm like that's what i'm watching tonight for sure some some uh friday or i'm sorry some uh nightmare on elm street tonight Okay. So uh, going in 10 plus, hey, Ed, that's another six for the J. So I'm at 16. Not too Respectable. bad. I have uh, 15 days left from uh, this day recording to, to October 31st. So I'm pretty sure I could pull that off, get 15 movies in basically in 15 days. One a day. There you, you go. Know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you got to keep doing them double features, man. It makes shit way easier. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's- going up to the, the cabin this weekend, too, I'll get at least, you know, five. Yeah, that's like because one one night you'll do like two or three if you're not doing yep. anything, you know. Um, this one was weird for me. I didn't get as much watching in as I wanted to of like stuff that was on my list. But because of just circumstance and shit, I got a lot of watching done with stuff that was just on TV on top of it. So, of course, for this week's show, I, I got to watch The Mortuary Collection and Never Hike in the Snow. Um, so that's two more added to the list. I was up to 18 prior to this show. So, or this week, I should say, Uh, so those two, I got, uh, pumpkin head, the original from 1988, uh, the shed. I actually told you I got to watch. I watched three different Friday, the 13th. And this is again, because they were on TV. So they're kind of like wonky and out of order, but I watched Friday 13th, part three, 
Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, and I did catch the original Friday the 13th as well. And uh, also last night, uh, it was probably the last thing that I watched, uh, was The Cleansing Hour. I watched that off Shudder. It's a movie from 20 to 2019. Uh, so I'm up to 26 at this point, so I'm definitely going to hit 31 and beyond uh, for the rest of the month. Nice pace. Yeah, moving along, man. Uh, I'll tell you that. So uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm not like there's been years too where I've done this and I've kind of like burned myself out uh, and I'm not burnt out at all. So that's pretty good to, to have 21 or 26 movies watched so far and we haven't even hit the 20th. Uh, well, actually, today's the 20th, the day that we're recording. So and I'm sure I'll probably get another one or two in tonight. So that should be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I got so pumped up like. I'm always pumped up for this, like you were saying. And, and again, there's like years you do get burnt out. But I think – I wonder if like the pandemic had something to do with this. Probably. You know, just like not having the normalcy and all that. It's like, dude, at least it's fucking October, man. At least we can just escape into horror movies well, or something. And you you have a lot more opportunities to – well, first off, there's a lot less stuff to do, number one. That's what I mean, yeah. And then number two – there's a lot of things that you normally would do that now you're like, nah, I think I'm just going to stay home and watch movies. Yeah. Even it's just, just a better choice. Out, so. Yeah. I mean, I, that's one thing that I, I'm kind of disappointed in with myself because I, I wanted to go to the drive-in at some point this month and I haven't done that yet. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to get to do that before the month is out. Um, so that's kind of a bummer. Um, I did get to go over the summer once and I was hoping to get to go more, but they really just, Either it didn't work out time wise, I had other stuff to do, or they just weren't showing anything of interest. Uh, and I really kind of was hoping that they would do more this month at, at a lot of the local drive ins, and they just really haven't been doing a whole lot. So, um, whatever, you know, hopefully that changes within the next couple of weeks uh, to the end of the month. Um, we'll have to see, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on that either because, you know, we've talked about that before. For an area with such rich horror history, uh, they don't really capitalize on it the way that they should. It's it's kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is. You know, we don't own a drive-in, so we don't really have a whole lot of control over how that works. Yeah, exactly. So we are going to take a quick commercial break, guys. We have another movie review for you when we come back. Never hike in the snow. So stay tuned for that. Of course, we have Goofs or Goofs coming up here as well. So we'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast for Physically Fit with Kurt Angle. At Physically Fit, we are committed to providing our customers with the highest quality, better for you protein snack nutrition the entire family will enjoy. In a time when product quality seems to be compromised by price, we are determined to be unique and offer different offerings, superior ingredients, great taste, texture, and quality in every bag. We strive to inspire everyone on some level and share values of faith, family, respect, and excellence daily. Our goal is to be a small part of your life, personal growth, health, and happiness. We consider each customer to be part of our growing physically fit family and encourage all to live life to its fullest. Set new goals daily to better yourself physically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. Don't compromise your values and always be kind and respectful to others. Our motto is healthy people, healthy planet, because we believe that providing great tasting nutrition makes for a healthier you, and a healthier you makes for a healthier planet. Strive for a better tomorrow and live physically fit. Go to physicallyfit.com today. (laughs) 
And we're back. And as I mentioned before we went to break, it is time to break down the brand new Friday the 13th fan film, Never Hike in the Snow, just premiered last week uh, on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with fan films, but basically what a fan film is, is exactly what it says it is. It's a fan of a particular movie or franchise that makes a fan version of Uh, of a movie. It might be a sequel. It might be a prequel. Uh, It just generally allows for some fan creativity. Now, these movies also fall into a weird gray area because you might think it's weird that we said that it premiered on YouTube. Well, the thing is about fan films is they're done essentially by not being able to use any of the copyrights, but they still do. So the deal is, is they can make them, but they're not allowed to make any money from them. So that's why they're put up on YouTube for free. Now, there's a whole other gray area with that, too, because, you know, you could get paid by ads and things like that on YouTube, but whatever. We're not getting into the legality. Yeah, I don't want to get into it with you, but yeah, that's uh, that's a, a conversation for another day. But I just don't understand as as a filmmaker, you know, how they pull all this off it's because just, of that. Like, it, I get the non-payment, but like once it gets big, you know, well, it's you have just so many thousand YouTube views. Now, I don't know if they're if it's not allowed to be monetized via YouTube, which is very possible. I don't know how that works. Um, I would assume that. Now, the way that this always worked before, now I'm talking, I was familiar with fan films before YouTube was really a sensation. So what a lot of people would do is they would, uh, you know, burn them to DVD or put them out on, on VHS and stuff like that and just give them away. Like they weren't allowed to sell copies of them. Or they would just use them to screen places or they would try and like upload them to certain places where you could download them for free and things like that. Or just even put them up on a website free for anybody to view. Um, So as long as they're not making any money from direct sales, I guess they're allowed to do it. So gotcha. uh, now Never Hike in the Snow is a sequel to a previous fan film called Never Hike Alone. Now, Never Hike Alone is uh, a fan film made a few years back. And it's it's really good. It's it's about an hour long or so. And it follows a guy who goes to Crystal Lake to kind of investigate the whole legend of Jason Voorhees. And when he gets there, well, he runs into Jason and there's a whole uh, cat and mouse game that ensues and he essentially dies there. Uh, But the one thing that we see at the end of that movie is the return of none other than Tommy Jarvis himself from the series, but they do it in the the way that they brought in actor Tom Matthews, who played Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 6. So that was a welcome surprise for this one. And coming into the sequel here, you knew that Tom Matthews was going to be a part of it again because that's something that they announced. One thing I didn't know going into it, however, is Vincent Vincent... Guastafaro would be in it. Uh, he plays Sheriff Rick Cologne, uh, who is uh, the sheriff's deputy in Friday the 13th, part six. So if you remember part six at all, uh, with the one with Tom Matthews, there's a, a deputy assistant or a sheriff's assistant, whatever you want to call him. And he's the guy that has the laser scope on his gun. And he they got the same actor to be in this. Now, yeah, the story cool. of this one is a follow-up, so it, it takes place a few months uh, after the a strange appearance of Mark Hill, a Crystal Lake resident who went for a hike in the dead of winter and never came home. Now, what you have is, of course, 
Tommy Jarvis is back to kind of figure out because he thinks it's Jason Voorhees. And you have the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Rick, as we mentioned earlier, who obviously remembers Tommy from part six and doesn't want him anywhere near the area. Okay. And what you have is essentially another rampage by Jason, but this movie here is much shorter than the original. That's something I was a little disappointed in coming into it. I saw that it was only 31 minutes and I didn't really think they were going to get to tell a whole lot of the story here uh, or really do much of anything fleshed out. And unfortunately, after watching it, it seems that that's exactly the case, at least from my perspective. I don't know what you thought of this one, the Jay, but I was a little underwhelmed in the running time. So I had thought that I had seen the original Never Hike Alone. Okay. But realized I hadn't. I think I maybe okay. watched a trailer or something because it was a while ago when it came out. And just okay. Jared being Jared. So I was able to watch Never Hike Alone followed by Never Hike in the Snow back to back. Yes. So that was kind of a cool experience with never seeing either one. Okay. Talking specifically on this one, um, I am with you. I mean, they, they went by the kind of you know obscure timeline where they have the the big event at the beginning where one of the you know characters faces Jason that sort of thing yep and then they tell his story in it so you know that wasn't a bad way to go about it but to your point hey Ed, I mean with something like this in in only 30 minutes to to flesh it out I I'll, I'll say this off the uh, off the bat here I enjoyed Never Hike Alone uh, more than Never Hike in the Snow. Absolutely. Um, that's for sure. Um, Never Hike Alone had more of the Blair Witch kind of vibe with it too, which, you know, you, you kind of get into it with the way the characters kind of carrying along that before even Jason shows up. Yep. In, in comparison to this, where they tried to do kind of a more fleshed out episodic take than that was. And yep. uh, again, I just don't think they had the time to flesh things out as far as the story goes. Other than that, you know, the, the sequences were good. Um, it, it wasn't the, the worst attempt to, to put something together with, with a half hour of time. Uh, but to your point, I mean, it, it, it definitely lacked a lot because of that as well. Well, I mean, I think that as you can see, because you just watched the original as well, if that's all you've ever seen from them and you know a sequel's coming, you're kind of like expecting something in that wheelhouse again. This one was just right. too much of a departure from that for me. And I thought that it didn't really further the story along a whole lot. Um, I felt that uh, Tom Matthews in this one was kind of wasted where they got absolutely the most out of them the first time around because it was such a big surprise. Um, I, I like Guarafini in this one, or Guastafini. I can't say this dude's name. Uh, the the sheriff from part six. Yeah, I thought uh, he was Gustafero. good at it. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, ultimately it just didn't have enough time to really do a whole lot of anything. And then I thought there was a lot of scenes in this one that were really just didn't need to be there. Like a lot of the Jason by himself stuff was weird. Um, and I just thought it was a weird angle to take, but it's, uh, I think for most people, the bottom line is, is like, if you go into the first one and you really were surprised by it and really enjoyed it, kind of like I did, uh, that you're going to come out of the second one fairly disappointed because it just doesn't have a whole lot to play with. Uh, 30 minutes is barely long enough to do anything as far as this stuff goes. And I just found myself like not just wanting more, but feeling like I didn't even get enough this time around. Like I didn't even get remotely what I wanted out of this one. Yeah, as far as the end, uh, the 
non-spoiler disclaimer. I, I didn't like the the very end either. You know? I didn't either. I went out to go in the detail, but it kind of it was one of those things. Like, hopefully, this isn't upsetting anybody that might be interested in, as a spoiler. But it kind of just ends. It's one of those movies. Yeah. You know. Yep. Even as a short fan film. So so yeah. I mean, but but again, not to shit on the whole thing. There there was aspects I liked. Um, the, the Jason they have, even just the look of them is pretty cool. It's yep. not like a cheesy version of Jason or anything. And, and I think it's funny where the, the writer, Vincent DeSanti, um, is also the, the person that plays Jason. So and he's also I feel the director like and the writer. That's what I mean. And that's why it's a fan film because this is him getting his opportunity and kudos to him, man, to, to play Jason, you know? So, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool if you think about it, that he's actually able to get actual actors from the series in it and, and to even do this to begin with. But again, that's, that's why it is a fan fan film, but more, uh, kudos to him to, for him to get to play out his screen fantasies of being Jason Voorhees on screen. But, uh, but yeah, like, like you said, especially myself being able to compare the first one to this one, um, this one uh, left a lot on the table in comparison to that one. And I completely agree with how you put it. Hey, Ed, where I just think they took a kind of different take on the story. They tried to do more, but, you don't have enough time to do more. You know, you should have kind of went a different route, but uh, I give them, uh, you know, kudos for the effort. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would have rather them taken longer to put this out and make something a little bit longer. Like I, I'm not asking for a two and a half hour epic or anything like that, but I think that fan films generally got to run from 45 minutes to an hour uh, because otherwise you're just basically making an episode, like something that's like episodic TV, and then it just doesn't work because you're not getting a new show next week. So um, it has to be a little bit longer than that. And like I said, it's just disappointing because what you've seen, what they did with the original. And the other thing that I'll give them credit for is they've definitely improved since they made the original. Uh, they're, they're just better technically, you know, at being filmmakers than they were the first time around. So I think the ability to not take advantage of that was a little bit of disappointment for me. And I thought, too, the fact that they had the established actors from the Friday the 13th series and just didn't really do a lot with them because the running time was a little bit unfortunate, too. So I just wanted more from this. And I think that ultimately, even though this is better made, I still think that the original is just better. So there, there's a thing with filmmaking and, and especially independent filmmaking. And, and I know you know this, hey, y'all, where when you're putting together a film and you're in pre-production and you have the idea and you're re really going to go for it with, with making this film that I say hour and a half to two hour movie might be too difficult for you to pull off the budget and you don't have the ability to do that. You know, this is all obviously dependent on where you're at as a filmmaker and such, but just as a broad example, yep. when that's the case, somebody might advise you and say, well, why don't you make a short? So then you have the concept of, of making a short film and maybe your idea is kind of more than a short film. But the thing is you can make a short and try to sell it to, to eventually make the feature. Yep. But my point is, and this is in comparison to never hike in the snow, you never want to fall in the in-between where you're too long to be a short and you're too short to be a feature. Yep. And that's kind of where this falls. Like, like yep. you said, it's almost like a half hour episode, episodic thing, but it's a movie. It's a it feature film in a half hour in a lot of ways. Well, dude, even taking it back to the point that you're making, this more along the lines reminds me of something that like, say they made a short film about Jason, right? And somehow, some way, the people who own the rights to Jason were interested in this. 
And they were like, but this is just too short. We need you to make something that we can get a better idea of what you want to make. So this seems to me like a, a half an hour thing that they make to show the people from the studio to convince them that there's a movie here that was never meant for the public to see. You know what I mean? Like just kind of yeah. like a sizzle reel of stuff that they could be like, see, and if we had a bigger budget, we could do like this here and then like missing reel. And then like, this is what we did with this. And it, it just feels like incomplete essentially to me. Cause what I'm looking at, I'm not looking at it as far as an episodic TV show. I'm looking at it as an hour long short film uh, or not, not like a short feature, I should say, uh, which the first one was. So like immediately upon looking this up and I saw it was 31 minutes, I was like, what the fuck? And then I did the the math uh, essentially and looked to see where it ended. It was really only twenty five minutes. Uh, there were six minutes of credits at the beginning and end that were tacked on too, that and that it, counts yeah. in the total running time. So you're only really getting about twenty five minutes, and it's just not enough. Yeah, if that's the case, they kind of maybe should have wrote a, a script as if it was a, a, the the pilot episode of what would yep. be. 30 minute episodes of a Friday the 13th series or something, maybe went a different route with it. Cause I'm with you. I think that's our biggest problem with it is it just had that, that going against it, uh, you know, in a nutshell where they were just trying to squeeze too many things without character development and a lot of stuff. And, and like you said, they had a lot of filler that they didn't necessarily need with, with certain things that they kind of threw it off. So, so yeah, again, I give them the old E for effort. Um, I enjoyed it. It's not like I, I despised it, but on um, you know my expectation level for it, I think it fell pretty pretty significantly short. Um, and again, in comparison, giving them props for the the first one, never never hike alone. Yeah, because the first one's really legitimately good. So, uh, and and I was impressed with it overall. That's why I was like pushing that on everybody that I knew that would be interested to check it out because it it is really good and it takes literally no effort to see it. You just go on YouTube and you can watch it whenever you want. Uh, so you guys could do that right now if you want. You could check this or the one we're talking about here, Never Hike in the Snow, for free on YouTube right now uh, as you're listening to the show if you want to do it. So uh, overall, the J, uh, I'm going to go with two and a half stars on this one out of five. Yeah, I, I um, was going to read a tagline, but of course it's a fan film, so no tagline. They didn't get creative there and add anything to the poster. And um, I'm just going to go a, a solid two for them. Um, because I, I definitely like the effort. I, I truly respect them, but just as being an old critic boy here on the show, hey, you all. Yeah. Um, in that role of a critic, I'm just going to give it two stars. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see what more they can do. He was, what, three years between um, coming out with Never Hike in the Snow, with Never Hike Alone being in 2017. So we'll, we'll see what happens with, with these filmmakers. But they, they, they do make some solid fan stuff. Still a good effort. Yeah, and you never know. Like maybe we'll see another one come considerably sooner because it was a shorter effort this time. Maybe they blew right. all their cash on one last time, and now they'd rather space out two parts. So it might it might be worth it in the end, and it might even be worth it to wait to watch it until that comes out. I don't know. I haven't heard anything additionally, uh, but we'll have to see. So that's Never Hike in the Snow. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We are going to take another quick commercial break, and when we come back, it's time to talk some goofs. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. 
This is Ed for the What's Real podcast for the International Wrestling Cartel. Check out the IWC at iwcwrestling.com for tickets, t-shirts, DVDs, and more. Also for their upcoming show, Homecoming, Saturday, November 7th of 2020 at 7 p.m. at the Court Times Sports Center in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. All tickets, $25. Only 200 tickets available. You can get those online right now at iwcwrestling.com. For the best in Pittsburgh professional wrestling, the International Wrestling Cartel. Welcome to Goofs or Goofs. And we're back. And the J, it is that time. What do we got this week on the goof front? Got all kinds of goofs here in October. Howling at the moon. Hey, ill. Or, or, or. But we're never lacking in goofs here on the What's Real podcast. In episode 42, hopefully won't disappoint. Um, speaking of which, good correlation here. 43. Or I'm sorry, 43. <laughs> we keep saying 42. Troy Palomalo. I got to remember that. 43 motherfucking exactly. episodes. That's why my brain's all over the place. Hey, you But yeah, to correlate disappointment, hey, you here on Goose for Goose starting, one of the most disappointing American icons of all time, Bill Cosby, is go- doing the rounds Ugh. in the media currently for his latest mugshot um, where he sh- is shown incarcerated, comically smiling. Uh, have you seen this yet? I have not. Um, so Jesus. he did not smile in a previous 2018 mugshot. Uh, that's the one he took after he was sentenced. Uh, but in the pictures making their rounds on the interwebs, Bill Cosby is pictured smiling in his most recent mugshot. This taken on September 4th at the uh, Phoenix State Prison in PA, where he's currently incarcerated. And it goes perfectly with this coming out and becoming viral in October because he looks like he can be America's serial killer. Not America's dad. Jesus Christ! But yeah, the the big the gigantic fall of oh, it's, it's just a shame. Bill I mean, I, I was never the biggest Bill Cosby fan, but as just an overall comedy fan m- most of my life, and, and enjoying uh, stand up, I was always a big stand up guy and stuff. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. it's just a shame to see, and more than anything, I mean, you got to shout out the victims. I mean, just absolutely abhorrent. Uh, allegations. And I mean, he's fully sentenced in the number of women. I mean, you can't say he said, she said for this, but just had to call it out because with Halloween and looking at the creepy Cosby mugshot of him kind of smiling is just, uh, it's pretty unsettling. Hate y'all. Yeah. To say the least, I would agree. I haven't even seen it, but I could just imagine. But th- that's uh, not, th- And it's weird because I've seen him kind of pop up in the news recently. I just didn't see what it was for, but I have a funny feeling that's exactly what it was. Yeah, You'll check it out and freak out like I did, I'm sure. So moving along here on Goose or Goose, um, feds arrest rapper who bragged in music video about getting rich from jobless benefits scam. Have you heard this one? Hey, yeah, cause uh, I, I, was I did hear about this one. <laughs> a Tennessee rapper who boasted in a music video about getting rich from committing unemployment fraud has been arrested in Los Angeles. Fontrell Antonio Baines, 31, was arrested Friday on three felony counts of access, device fraud, aggravated identity theft, and interstate transportation of stolen property. Baines, who you'll get a kick out of this hate, y'all, is known online as Nuke Bizzle. (laughs) (laughs) And he now faces up to 22 years in federal prison. Federal prosecutors say that Baines and his co-conspirators fraudulently obtained at least 92 debit cards preloaded with more than 1.2 million. Talk about Jesus. Nuke Bizzle, you made the list and now facing up to 22 years in prison. But I think, hey, and I can concur. 
I don't think you should go on social media and boast in a music video about getting rich from committing crimes. Yeah, just commit the crimes and shut the fuck up. Like, I don't understand. Like, sometimes I wonder how much people do shit like this to get money and then how much they do it to, like, brag about the fact that they have money. Like, is not the money good enough? What do you call like, that? Uh, I don't flexing. Know. Yeah, you got to flex on social media because it's not enough to just have shit. To round out this episode 43, the Troy Polamalu extravaganza. I got it right that time. Hey, y'all. Rounding out Goose for Goose yes, this we week. Did. We are going to the fact that we are recording here on October 20th, 2020. Hey, y'all. The J may ask you, do you know what day this is? Mm, I do not. It is actually International Ass Day on Twitter trending. <laughs> and um, most of us uh, heterosexual gentlemen would think, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to see a bunch of hot chicks' asses. International nope. Ass Day is actually furries showing their behinds. Oh. That's right. There's furry pictures all over Jesus. social media, specifically Twitter, where people are in there, you know, dressed up in their um, animal outfits, <sighs> showing their buttocks. We got everything from unicorns to foxes. But at the end of the day, International Ass Day was not what the J expected. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, there's certain things I hear that make me not want to be on this planet anymore, and that's probably one of them. <laughs> I saw this one meme where it was like this uh, cartoon character coming out of this door and going right back in, and it said, you know, me checking out International Ass Day on Twitter. You know? <laughs> like, that uh, reminds me of Grandpa Simpson from this, where he like walks in the bordello and Bart's working, and he's like, <laughs> put hangs his hat up, sees Bart. Turns around, grabs his hat, and is like, exactly. <laughs> walks out the door. Like. <laughs> and then there was a yeah, that's one me. last good one where it said, uh, to anyone that looked at why International Ass Day is trending, I got you. And it's a picture of Will Smith from Men in Black with the memory stick, you know, that takes away your memory. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a good one. But to Bill Cosby looking like a African-American version of the Joker that's 90 years old, to a rapper that's in his own music video getting himself arrested because he's boasting about money he made from committing crimes, to International Ass Day actually being of furry bums, goofs, are <laughs> goofs. Our hey, you know. goofs. So that's it for us this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed the Palomalo extravaganza that was episode 43. Uh, of course, if you guys are listening on iTunes, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. It helps get more eyes and ears on the program. Of course, you could listen to us at all the other major podcasting platforms out there, including churchillpictures.com each and every week. Don't forget to send us an email over at whatsrealpod at gmail.com and don't forget to give us a follow on the Twitter machines at whatsrealpod and the number one, again, that's whatsrealpod. So the J, I see you're uh, revving up those engines, brother. Get ready to take us on home. Revving it up like the big old truck with the, the goblin face from Maximum Overdrive. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Pumped up, man. Another great week. Having fun here in the, the October shenanigans. Thanks to everybody for the, the support with the Unsung. Keep checking out churchillpictures.com. We, we appreciate all, all the support we're getting. Check out the DVDs and streaming and stuff. Uh, it's, it's much appreciated. As I say, love the show. To the wizard behind the boards, my man Cam, thanks for making us crystal clear and producing a hell of a show, Cam. We're having a blast. Keep evolving. Keep growing. And we're on the big Paula Malu extravaganza being episode number 43. Now I'm going to shove it down your throat, hey, that I know what episode we're on. 
But as I say, Woo-hoo. stay healthy, stay safe. You'll hear the J next week. Absolutely, man. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks goes out to the king of producers himself, the mighty Camzilla. I appreciate all the work you put into the show here each and every week. The J, my tag team partner in podcasting, brother. There's nobody else I'd rather be doing it with than you. So thanks for sitting down with me here again each and every week on the show. And that's for that's it for us this week. Uh, hard for me to say. Uh, but thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you right here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real? What's real? What's real?